Warning. The following contains bright, flashing lights, and slash or imager that may cause discomfort, and slash or seizures for those with photosensitive epilepsy. Viewer discretion is advised. We are back uh, in studio here at the Suavecito headquarters. Um, we have uh, somebody pretty pretty special to me here. Uh, somebody that I've uh, that I've uh, developed a weird relationship with. <laughs> um, Raul, welcome. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you uh, coming out and picking me up and taking go, me to eat yeah, at go. a local fantastic place. Yeah, a birria. Yes. Oh, man, uh, it's a birria place right at the bottom of Libertad. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a classic uh, birria place. Pide los tacos tostaditos. You have to, it's a crunchy tortilla. Man, and you called it because as we were leaving, there was more and more cars starting to pull up. At, yeah, that's the spot right we, there. We just hit it uh, right at the start when it starts getting really busy. Um, so uh, before we, you know, go into this whole process of uh, figuring out who you are and you talking to us yeah. about, uh, you talking to us about, you know, uh, what you do and, and what you're about. For sure. Um, you are the son of immigrants. Yes, sir. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a pr pretty interesting um, place to be in right now, being that you're in Tijuana, uh, being somebody that comes from uh, the mean streets of Chicago in a lot of ways. <laughs> For uh, sure. So there's a there's this whole joke of Chirac and and here we have Tijuanistan yeah. is what we used to call it you know, uh, but you are a son of immigrants. Um, this is a city that is built on that. Uh, it's a it's a place uh, they call it the corner of the Latin world. Uh, it's a place where a lot of families, a lot of people with hopes and dreams, have crossed uh, into the United States looking for that. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, about your family's experiences and how, you know, you came to be where you, you grew up? Yeah, so, well, first off, right, thank you for, for the opportunity to do something that, that's like a, a mini pilgrimage, right? I won't make it as exciting as it was for my parents, but yeah. for me to cross the same border, essentially, that they crossed, right, back then when they crossed, uh, was super spiritual for me. Like, I took on this wave of I don't know, it was like this overwhelming feeling of just like warmth and connection to my parents, which was, I think was super cool for me at least. Yeah. And I think everybody will have their own experience doing it yeah. if they have that connection. And so my parents, mom is from Durango and okay. dad is from Jalisco. Okay. So two different states, two different types of people and personality traits. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean uh, Jalisco, joyous party, uh, you know, different type of individuals, you know, uh, Durango. <laughs> Serious work. Let's For figure sure. things out. And you know? she's very direct, very serious. So together they were fun. They were, uh, so I think I took on uh, my mom's work ethic and my dad's fun side because <laughs> that's what they were. Yeah. Super hard, super strict, and uh, just really hardworking. And that's what, what drove the patriotism is them coming to America, right? And they still kind of don't know a lot of English. So yeah. they, they're still limited on their English capabilities, but it didn't matter. America provided a place for them with their limited education and limited 
um, language with the barriers uh, being included to to flourish and have these small businesses that kind of help put the families on the map for us in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a very unique experience growing up and watching dad hustle. And, you know, English was a second language for me. So I learned Spanish first. I, obviously, at the household, that's all they spoke, yeah, right? Is, yeah. And <laughs> even when I got, I air quote this as kidnapped by my dad <laughs> when I was young to, to Mexico. He wanted me to be raised there initially. Um, even before that, though, the, the connection of them being able to be there, they were so excited to be American or to be in America. Right. Yeah, and yeah. they look forward to getting their green cards and being citizens. And I remember how excited they were uh, when, as, as they spoke about those events. So it did drive the sense of patriotism, which later on in the future drove me to like military and service to the community. But what made them leave? What made them leave Mexico? It, it was that same hope and aspiration for something better and something bigger. So, so this is, uh, they probably left, what, in the, back in the 80s? Earlier. Earlier? Like 60s, like 60s. 60s, 70s. 60s, 70s. So for people, you know, mi migration waves from Mexico have come and gone for different reasons, mm -hmm. you know, economic reasons, you know, uh, people looking for a better life, uh, people just seeing stories of people making it on the U.S. Yes. side. And uh, recently, a lot of those waves have come from people that are just completely in. There's no safety to be guaranteed in some of these communities to move up there. But your 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 uh, your parents basically were looking to create a better future for you. Yeah, I think the safety aspect wasn't that big then. I yeah. think it was the wave of reform, like, hey, let's go to this America, this new place, let's do cool stuff. I think it was still like very hippie esque, right? Big hair. Yeah. Uh, all that fun stuff that, that the 70s and 80s were, were then going to produce for them in America. But they, the, the way they told the stories was they were looking to do something better, something bigger, so that they can then help the family. And it, it's that same story, right? You, yeah, you come here to do better, to bring everybody else, or to send back. To send back, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so on my mom's side, so both accomplished their goal. Mom accomplished the goal of helping send things back. And dad did the opposite. He brought his family here, his brothers and sisters, and he yeah. helped them launch businesses. Okay. So everything that he established, he helped them establish, which is where I kind of get my attitude of like, bring everybody up. Yeah. You know, there's, it, pull, pull people if up. If you pull people up, then everybody's pulling each other up and nobody's yeah. being drugged down by the one guy you're looking at as like a nuance. Yeah. So very cool that they both accomplished their goals. And again, their, their happiness. So, so, um, they, so they, they crossed and they ended up in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Chicago has a giant uh, Mexican massive, community. massive Mexican community. Uh, some of the first classes I did myself in, Ch and like when I came as an immigrant as well mm -hmm. to the U.S. five years ago. Some of my uh, <laughs> some of my first classes were out in Chicago, and I was surprised about how at home I felt in some of these uh, communities. It's basically little Big Mexico, time. little Mexico, right? Um, so you you, uh, you know you work at you. Know, your, your parents are immigrants. They work. Um, the whole aspect of them earning their citizenship. Dude. Um, what was that? W witnessing that. I mean, you were born there. Um, but witnessing them going through that process. I mean, I went through that process. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going through that process myself. I'm a, I'm a, a permitted resident. I'm going after my citizenship. Yeah. But uh, do you remember them uh, achieving that? I remember parts of it, not as much as I wish now. Then, and, and having this conversation again, these, I love doing these engaging little things with with people of, of like minds because I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna like Q and A the shit out of my parents. <laughs> like, tell me everything, right? Everything that I've missed that I don't have in my uh, memory bank of their of their uh, move here and all the things that they did to to be comfortable where they are now. 
Um, but I remember them being excited about it. I remember them bragging to their, their siblings and then offering advice on how they're going to help them now that they've done it. So again, examples of constantly trying to uplift others, which is really cool, right? In, in a, <laughs> I don't want to call it a ghetto because it's not the ghetto that we imagine now. It was super low income and it was like, I remember my babysitter, she, her and her husband, they were retired, but they were financially not doing well, but they would trade babysitting hours for groceries. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. how they babysit yeah. us. They babysit us, and my mom would bring a carton of eggs and some hot dogs that they can chop up. This is Chicago, by the way. This yeah, is, it's we're, in Chicago. We're in Chicago. Yeah. There's a Mexican community in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, or they would bring a pack of tortillas one day and, you know, some tomatillos for some salsa the next day. Bartering. And it was a barter system for babysitting. It yeah. was freaking rad. And I remember learning to eat out of uh, sartenes, the pans, because yeah, there were no dishes. Like, the guys, they didn't, it was like, it was a really interesting growing up. But, again, the the idea that they were so happy to become citizens that they wanted to bring everybody along and their pride led to like this pride in country. They were proud of Mexico. They were proud to be Mexican, but they were also proud to be in America and that the struggle wasn't the way uh, the struggle was for people who didn't want to work. Cause that yeah. was a big thing in the communities too. You had your lazy drinkers and smokers who didn't do shit. They yeah, were maybe they were after the government money. Yes. You know? And then you had the hard workers and hard chargers. And then yeah. that was always the clash, right? You'd come home and be like, you know, I stopped Pepe hanging out drunk again yeah. when he's 25 and he could be hustling harder than us, you know? Now, now, uh, witnessing your, you know, I mean, the, your immigrant parents achieving their, their dreams and basically, you know, I think in a lot of ways we are our parents' uh, wildest dreams. Yeah. In a way, if 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 we are true to ourselves, it's, that's that's who we want to be. You yeah. know, our parents' wildest dreams. Um, seeing their joy and pride of you know becoming Americans, basically. Yeah. Um, what that what did that mean to you? Was both being you know that whole aspect of your you know your Mexicano you know heritage. Um, but there's this concept of a being an American, yeah. right? That is now you're born into it. Yeah. Uh, what is that like? What is that dichotomy? That uh, that split in you like? So it, it's it's comforting and it's exciting because there comes this like ultra sense of purpose almost, right? And like you said, like if we're our parents' wildest dreams and they were so proud to become American. I, and it's funny that you put it in that phrasing. I was like, oh shit! So what I was actually doing. Now, like using that as a as a like as an anchor to, of understanding into their dreams. If they were so proud to be American, what can I do to one up how proud they were to become yeah. Americans? Yeah. And that's kind of again, it, it leads us to the future with the military. Where as soon as I started to catch on to like their patriotism, their love for the country, I was like, well, how can I make it even better? What will make you more proud of of America than an American born son? In the military, right? Because I saw how the Americans, the the white America, or the the non-immigrant Americans, how much they valued service at that time. Yeah, it was like this thing. Yeah. Like, oh. Also, also people need to realize Mexicans are very conservative, big time, big, very conservative, and and uh, again, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of us when we go into the U.S. military is fits. Yeah, it fits uh, some of the aspects of how we come up and how we bring people up. Um, well, so you. You saw in the military an opportunity to, to basically make them proud yeah. and also to find your own way. Well, I was kind of, <laughs> to go back then, right? I was like, I wasn't able to find how to make them proud normally. 
Like yeah, I was kind of a bad kid. You're yeah. not. You're not gonna. You're not gonna show up with be valedictorian. Or, yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna do any of that. No. No. None of uh, that. My sister was the smarter one. Not that I wasn't smart because school was easy, and I think that's why I brushed it off. Yeah. So I was able to achieve the grades that I wanted, and then I was just kind of like, meh, this isn't enough. I'm gonna go fuck around and do some other shit somewhere else, right? And that's kind of where all the illegal stuff started happening, which is great, great learning experience. When you say illegal stuff, like when you were a teenager, like your, your late yeah, teens. Yeah, early teens. Early teens. Not even late teens, early teens. Uh, again, a very Mexican community, right? And <laughs> was, there, was, there, was there a gang culture out there? There was. The gang culture, it was very protective at the time. So like even the, the, the parents that didn't have kids in gangs, they would let you be around them, but when shit got hot, like you started hearing screeching tires and things like that, bring you in. They, were, uh, they were like, all right, you need to come inside or yeah. don't be around you know, these dudes when this is going on. And so they would bring you to the house or they'd, they'd call you to the front and then they'd unleash you again. So like here, here, in, here in Tijuana growing up, my mom would, would walk around and you would get some of the cholos in the community and say, hey, hey, watch out for my kid. Yes. You know? You would get some of that yes. stuff over there? Yeah. Were, 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 they're, they're, they're bad guys? Yeah. They're part of the community though. Like, right. hey. Watch out for my kid. Yep. Don't, don't, don't mess with him. Watch yeah. out. And that was the case, man. They, there was people looking out for each other, and it was very much, uh, I said it somewhere, uh, it was very much West Side Story, but Mexican version, <laughs> right? Uh, mom ones. yelling from the third floor with a spatula, right? Yeah. And then another mom echoing it down. And then finally, one of the, the street dudes like, hey, man, your, your mom's calling. Get out yeah. of here. You know, like yeah. it was a very interesting time, but it was it was cool uh, at that age. So I wasn't going to make them proud doing street level shit. Right. Yeah, you weren't going to be a little scandalous, a little shit bag. Um, so what type of shit will you get into? Yeah. And for not being a gun city, the guns are like the biggest thing in Chicago. Right in all the communities, there, there's, there's guns everywhere. Basically. Everywhere, and everyone has one, and it's Is not it, even like frowned upon in the gangs, right? Like, not, like back then, back then, was it about uh, what was what was the violence about? Just territory? It was all territory. It wasn't even drugs. It was all muscling to own like pieces of land, right? Okay. And they didn't fucking own shit, but they were fighting for it. These these turf wars, right? And it was all about like tough guy energy. The drugs weren't really a prevalent thing because there wasn't a lot of drug use in our community. And, like, and, and, and the drugs that were there, what, what type of drugs are we talking about? It was probably about? cannabis the most, right? Weed. It was weed. That was what the turf wars were for. It was yeah. weed back weed. then, man. In the 80s wow. and 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very what different. A, weed. <laughs> than what it is now. Mellow out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this, uh, this place, Guns... We're talking about what, what year was this? Like around what year were you? Early like, '90s, man. I was early, already like. <laughs> so early '90s gun violence in the communities you were in in Chicago. Um, so it's been happening. It's it's been going on for years, basically. Man, is what it, we're saying, yeah. It's just, just it's changing the faces behind the guns or the faces behind the, the guns and the violence just change. Yeah, and here's a little secret into Chicago violence. Not so much now. Now it's sporadic. And you don't know where the violence is going to come from. Yeah. Um, before, the violence was isolated. It was in pockets and neighborhoods, right? So it really didn't affect downtown. It didn't affect the more affluent areas. It was more in one-by-one one block radius, like where two, ter two gangs um, had intersecting lines of, of territory. Yeah. Or there was a, a crossover as to who was going to control the territory for sales, right? Yeah. 
So the violence was very isolated, but the, obviously the news highlights exactly what they need to highlight. So of it course. looks like all of Chicago is burning down, yeah, which yeah. now it is. <laughs> now everybody that I know that's on the force there is like, dude, yeah. there's nothing we can do. Like, yeah. th- this is out of control. It's uncontainable. Yeah, now it's lost its, its ability to be controlled. Um, but back then it was just that. It was, uh, and I remember <laughs> going into these dilapidated houses, man, that smelled like mold. They were like rotting inside. And my buddy's like, all right, man, boost me up. And I would boost them up. And he'd move like a roof panel and he'd grab a double barrel shotgun with electrical tape on the handle, right? And like sawed off little things. And And then he'd pull out a little revolver and it was just rusted out and nasty. And he's like, all right, we got to take these for the guys and we got to dump them in the lake. So we had this very specific spot where we were underage. If we got caught with them, it wasn't going to do anything. And I thought it was fun because I was with my buddy who I thought was my best friend. And he still, to me, he's my best friend. He was a great guy, right? Um, Now I believe he's sitting somewhere doing a life sentence for smoking a couple dudes, which is interesting turn of events right two best friends exactly on the same path one choice one choice but uh i remember chucking these guns into the lake and then being like all right now what do we do let's go back and see what else there's to do right um but we used to play we didn't know it till later but we were playing lookout games by being agile yeah so we would jump roof to roof yeah. On the because uh, all the buildings were connected, yeah, uh, and pretty much they were all flat. Some were pitched, but they were all flat. And we would be on the rooftops playing, and then we'd be like, "Oh, red car coming over here!" Blah, and we'd be laughing. And the guys down there were like, "Hey, say that again!" Be like, "Yeah, oh, the red car." And they're like, "Oh shit!" And they would scatter. Yeah. So it was like we were providing like surveillance, not <laughs> knowing we were yeah. doing it. Gavilanes, uh, punteros, yeah. like they have here. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. And kids, it, dude, and it, it. Think of it now. It's like holy crap. Um, with maturity, do you, you know, I consider it like, would I go back and relive all those things? I'm like, absolutely, I have to. It's formative. Because it, yeah, it it's, changes it who you formative. are today. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely a, does. So, you know, you, you have this uh, concept of uh, experience, you yeah. know, and people, you know, people always want, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the people, sometimes they ask me about my experience and what I went through. And I went through some horrible negative shit. I did some negative stuff, right. bad things. Uh, I think it's part of the process for people. Not not everybody, of course. And like you say, your best friend didn't survive that. Yeah. You know, well, he survived it, but he you know went down a, a darker path. Yeah, he's surviving in a different way. What uh, what was the fork in the road for you that uh, led you off that path? So I would have probably stayed there. It wasn't even my decision. <laughs> it was my mom and her her next marriage. Right, my parents had split, and they were kind of splitting custody. They weren't far from each other, but they were far enough that you had to take a ride to go to dad's house or okay. her mom. But they were still both on the south side, both Mexican neighborhoods. But the community my dad went to was 50-50. It was Mexican and it was Polacks. Okay. And that was a cool dynamic, man. I'll tell you, that that's a whole other <laughs> series of like fighting the white guys instead of the black guys now, right? And that's what the... the area with mom was like that we would fight the black dudes and they would beat our ass and we would beat their ass but it was never like hatred it was yeah. just like gotcha slipping motherfucker here we yeah. go right two on one one on two three on four like we would all just get together and just beat the shit out of each other and i wasn't the best fighter but i was down to fucking fight which yeah. was fucking fun to me right um so even since then i was like oh well i guess i'm not going to be the best fighter but i'm definitely going to be doing this and yeah. it, it was exciting and it was fun but the big change came when she remarried and we moved to the north side of Chicago, that changed everything. That was more gentrified. There was more, 
more non-Mexicans. <laughs> um, and it was, it was a combination of a better community, uh, more opportunities, more work for everybody. And people kind of more, they, they kept to themselves differently. Yeah. So it wasn't like how everybody would hang out outside. Like yeah, everybody was down inside. Down the block. Everybody yeah. was inside doing their own thing. Yeah. So it changed the opportunity. It changed everything that we were doing. So when we moved there, that's kind of when I was able to shift focus from doing all the dumb shit to actually not really. Uh, it went from gun stuff to drugs. <laughs> um, and I remember, man, I still remember seeing some of the most beautiful cocaine I've ever seen in my life. Oh, Like yeah. scaly green, yellow. It like when you moved it in the light, it had scales. It was, yeah. God, it was the, I'm not saying it to like romanticize it or make no, it no, glorified, it, but it, I've never seen that quality, that quality ever. It, there's a, there's historically been a pipeline from Sinaloa mm-hmm. straight to Chicago yep. <laughs> for decades. So yeah. makes sense. And, and I remember uh, a little bit of time, right? We won't spend too much time talking about that, but I remember the, the trocas blindadas coming out beautiful, right? Really well paint jobs, all this badass shit. And that's how we would get stuff. So the connection was easy to, yeah. to, to make, right? And I've heard you talk about Chicago a lot, and there is that connection, man. Yeah. But I remember this. It was pristine and the most beautiful. For, so for a little bit of time, that was a good source of income and spending. And there's nothing to show for it, right? Because yeah, you get course. it, you spend, it's, it's gone, yeah, and it's, it's gone. over. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the design of that, right? Yeah. So if, if you do have kind of a, a diminishing mindset where you're just going to kind of stay there, then it's easy for them to keep you as like a foot clan, foot soldier, right? Yeah. yeah. Until you take the fall for some shit. Yeah, you stay on until you're not useful anymore. Yep. And yeah. so for me, it was it was a little bit of that. It was a little bit of still having fun at school, uh, sports, getting into punk rock, getting into... So I went f- straight from Mexican music to gangster rap to What's punk that? rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I mean, I, my, my playlist is Chilino, and then yeah. we'll go listen to some Exploited, you know? For that. sure, man. It, and it, it did. It bounced back and forth depending on who you were with. And then hormones kind of kicked in, and I was hightailing it after Las Guaritas. All the white girls that I could find. So this is where the rock music came in, <laughs> okay. right? So like, like, I think, uh, so yeah, that's a dangerous. That's dangerous, dude. Peligroso. It was a, it was a turning point. The testosterone drop, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the hormone change, uh, and so then that started to chase me into different avenues, right? Hanging out with more of the punk rock kids because that's where all the white girls were. There was no white girls in the banda. Banda no, music, no. there was no white girls in gangster rap, right? That was yeah. the black girls and the Hispanic girls. Um, but so, yeah, that, that led me in one direction. And then for a long time, a lot of decisions, a lot of bad decisions were because of white girls. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, peligro, peligroso. Um, you have this, uh, you have this uh, place where you're at, you know, you're experiencing uh, basically a multicultural uh, um, youth in, in, in Chicago. Um, Chicago is walking towards what it is now, uh, back when you were young, basically. Right. Uh, what makes you get out? What makes you figure out a way out of that? For I mean, you, when I say get out, I mean, what makes you like find a path through the, through the military? So even as a kid, right, and I go back to this being a kid playing with the two G.I. Joes that I was able to get as a kid, and I think which man, which ones were they? I think I still have them. Uh, which one, which Destro ones were and uh, the yeah. Silverhead dude. Um, De- Destro Destro is the Silverhead dude, yes. arms dealer. Who was the who dude was with the, the with the boonie hat? 
Oh, I know who you're talking about. Oh, he had a crock. Yeah. It was it was a dude that had like a. He like had a, a tank top. Yeah. Camel pants and the the hat. So Destro yeah. Silver dude, and yeah. then that guy. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. I have no idea. I can't not think that of much this. of a nerd. Yeah, I I get asked all this. I should probably know that because they're like, oh, what were your two favorite shows? And Destro was for sure. Snake, um, Snake Eyes, by the way, that's my favorite one. Snake yeah. Eyes and Storm Shadow, but Storm Shadow more. For that sure. was my. Yeah. <laughs> this dude who is the white one? A storm shadow. Storm shadow. Okay. The guy that would uh, hit the tank in various parts and split it all in half. Man, <laughs> yeah. that guy. That's the shit for yeah. me. Hell yeah. Very uh, sapper. So that's you growing up uh, watching GI Joe. Yeah, and because <laughs> of the, and dude, it's cool because one's a good guy, one's a bad guy. Yeah, of course. So that's all we could get. I could get yeah. two, so I picked a good guy and a bad guy, yeah. and that whole childhood was the duality. Like, yeah. which way do I want to go? Which way do you want to go? <laughs> I mean, like your like if you say your your best friend went on one, basically yeah. split off. Man. I never um, put that together, but yeah, those two G.I. Joes were me and my buddy, and we both chose our, our paths. Yeah. Fucking wild. You, you decided to go into the military. Yes. So again, it, it was all this, like, I never wanted to be a cop, but I wanted to be a soldier. Okay. So the soldier why, thing, why not a cop? Because I, I ran from the cops. Of course. I was like, fuck these fuck motherfuckers, these right? You, you can't catch me, mother. Yeah, like, dude, I, I ran from the cops <laughs> when I, I used to skateboard and shit like yeah. that. And fuck the police, yeah. you know, run from the cops, you know? I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. And, I was like, ah, cop shit's stupid, right? And I saw the way they interacted. And it was at a time where policing was tough. Yeah. So people didn't like them, but they respected them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It wasn't like now. It was, it was different. They interact with you. As soon as you lipped off, fuck off, dude. Like, here we go. You're, you're, yeah. Yeah. It's, you're going to get it. And now you can talk shit and throw the middle finger and throw rocks at him. It's very different. Yeah. Um, so then there was still this culture of respect and authority. And they knew it, right? Yeah. They, 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 they yielded it well. So... Uh, I never wanted to be a cop. I was like, yeah, this is stupid. Fuck that shit. And, and so the military came about post 9-11, right? And again, that 9-11 event created a sense of, it invigorated patriotism. Yeah. Like, yeah. How dare you yeah. fuck with us, yeah. right? And whether it's all a ploy to, to run the industrial machine, right? We, we, we are at a point in history, I think, that where most of us know that a lot of the stuff that was behind that push <laughs> is bullshit. Yeah. You know, I, 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 it's safe to say, yeah, you know? for sure. But, uh, but fuck it, dude, I'll do it again. Yeah. That shit was awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, it basically, I think it was a call to adventure for a lot of people. 100%. You know? 100%. Um, so you, 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 my, my, many of my friends that are kind of around the same age group that we are, yeah. that was their origin point. Even, I mean, I did not participate in the war on terror, but the 9-11 attacks basically put the economy in the toilet, which made me have to look. It changed the world, man. It, it made me have to look for work, and all I could do was go into government work. Yeah. 9-11 happens. You start seeing a lot of people of your same age who maybe kind of like figuring things out, people joining. Was there anybody influential specifically that made you kind of like follow that path? Not really, man. There was or was it just you're like, well, I guess. Yeah. I guess we're going to go. There was nobody. So remember early on, I mentioned like uh, how the country was all about soldiers, but it wasn't as big because in the, you know, in, in, our, in the childhood, it wasn't, there was nothing really going on as far yeah. as conflicts go. Um, I had some loose ends to wrap up. As far as relationships, business that I was trying to figure out at that age, right before I joined the military, and uh, to ra I wrapped those up. And in that time frame, that year, post 9-11, that year that happened, I was like, 
so 9-11 and then 2003 was the invasion, right? That's when the war popped. Yeah. That, that, yeah. And so 2004-ish, I'm cleaning up all this stuff and I, I get reinvigorated with patriotism for military service. I always love the country. That's never going to change. Uh, but the, the idea of serving the country, right? And I, was, I started to see the dudes who had joined. I had a few friends who had joined, not close friends, but like extended families and friends. And everyone's like, oh, look at them. They're so far. I was like, fuck yeah, we're doing this shit. Yeah. And we're at war, like, now's the time to do something, right? If we're going to do this, we're going to do this now. And that's what led me to join. I joined. <laughs> I, got, I got dicked around, man. These fucking recruiters, man. If I ever run into you guys, I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> just, in, just so you're aware. <laughs> Shit, fuckers. Uh, no, all in good fun. The, I wanted to do the Marines first, right? Because the fucking Marine Corps, right? Yeah. And uh, I had some tattoos that I couldn't get rid of. And I went and got lasered and shit. And they're like, oh, no, we can't take you anyway. So you got this other tattoo. I was like, well, I'm not going to afford another five. Laser removal was more expensive at the time. Were these tattoos gang related is what they were One of them about? was. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of them was. I had to get it removed. And it, I was like, fuck it, whatever. It didn't matter. Because everybody had blessed off on the military service. Like, that's how patriotic even the gang members were. Yeah. Like, all right, man, go do your shit. Yeah. We, you don't owe us anything. Yeah. Carry on. It's fascinating that now, I mean, recruitment as it is now, mm. I mean, they'll take. Anybody. You can go there with face tattoos and shit, and they'll take you. I'm like, fuck. It's a pretty fascinating change. Uh, so the Marines didn't want me because of the tattoos, and the Army guys next door were like, fuck, we'll take you. We'll take you right now. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? They didn't tell me about the potentials for, like, rank or bonuses or anything that I can get that would help me out, right, a little bit. Yeah. They were just like, yep, sign right here, motherfucker. Four months later, boom, I'm on a fucking airplane and then a bus ride to start basic training. And then that kicked off from there. Uh, I was in training, and then it was maybe a year before our first deployment. So then we launched. And so, so you went from this is what I want to do a year until you were... Actively training for what I wanted. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, go. To, you go. To, you go through basic. Yeah. What does that feel like, dude? Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Basic <laughs> training was fucking rad, okay. right? Because I came from a very unstructured lifestyle. I, that's what I'm asking. You know, like this is you're you're doing your own shit, and all of a sudden you're somewhere where people are telling you what to do and screaming. Everything. How to brush your teeth. How to shave your fucking face. Right. Everything is being taught to you from scratch and molding. It's yeah. all molding. Yeah. Um, but it's all molding for the greater good. It's like to make people that can follow directions, right? Still think for yourself, but follow directions was the important part. And how can we make you follow the stupidest directions so that when something does make sense, you don't question it? And I think that that's the programming. Like yeah. you're going to do the dumbest shit. You're going to brush your teeth backwards because I said so. And you're like, that's the dumbest thing ever. But then they're like, all right, check it out. That hill's got bad dudes. This is how we're going to tag. And you're like, yes, okay. that makes sense. Yeah. And all of it is connected, man. The psychology of training soldiers is amazing. And I think it costs something like 90 to 100,000 per soldier uh, U.S. dollars to get them through basic training and spun up to be wow. somewhat effective, right? And it's an investment. It's a huge investment. There was 40 of us, four companies of four du 40 dudes, like one go. And then there's 100 buildings full of these motherfuckers, yeah. right? Um, so basic was fun for me because it was the structure I never had. I don't know if I needed it or not, but it I, felt I, right. So, like, that's interesting you say that. Like, for me, when I went through my own training, I, might, like, I went through paramilitary training. Right. Uh, the people that trained us were the uh, Gafes. Mm -hmm. Basically, the guys that turned into the Zetas were Fuck. the guys that trained us, right? Yeah. So they, they said, you know, pan y verga, and you know, pan, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the bread and dick, and there's no bread, yeah. you know? Uh, but I remember when I was being going through that training and having them basically treat us like dog shit. Yeah. 
and um, you know, waking up, marching, fucking running around, doing all this shit structure. There was a masochistic thing in me that was like, holy shit, I've been needing this in my, my yes. whole life. I've never had this before. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave me like a, I felt like I was being whittled down to my basic components. Yeah. Um, and there's something special about that, right? To be able yeah. to know yourself that far, that low, right? Yeah. And then to come back out of it. It's like, man. It's a, it's a, it's a death. Yeah. It's a death in Absolutely. a way. You know, so whatever, whoever you were before that training was, you die, yep. you know, and you come, you know, become something else. Yeah. Uh, you go through that basic training. And um, are you excited to, like, is everybody there like, like let's go? Yeah. So what is the energy? like? So the energy was definitely big dick. We're going to fucking fight. We want to fight because we, we enlisted into a combat arms job, okay. right? You signed up and you knew you were going to fucking do some shit because it's part of what you signed. Like you could have been a mechanic, right? Infantry, you could have done this or that. You get to choose with the army for the most part, right? Yeah. Based on your scores. Um, and I chose Calvary Scout. So it's like reconnaissance, small unit tactic stuff. Um, we make, get made fun of by the infantry a lot, and we make fun of the infantry a lot. Uh, it's this back and forth-ish. And so I knew what I was signing up for. I knew what I was going to do. I knew what I wanted to do. Like, I wanted that. Like, yeah. this is what we're doing. I already kind of did it at home, but now let's do it with some real motherfuckers, right? Like, let's yeah. test the metal now. And so we were all excited. We were pumped for it. I knew right when I got assigned to the third ID, Fort Stewart, that we were going to deploy because they're the constant deploying they, come, they go for a year, come back for a year, go for a year, come back for a year. So they're like the cycling train. So as okay. soon as I got assigned there, I was like, hell yeah. But sooner or later, we're going, right? And the energy was high because of everyone understanding why they signed up. Pretty much that was a consensus. Like, yeah. we want to serve, motivation. we want to go fight, we want to do this shit. So everybody was on the same page, which was fucking rad. Which I can't imagine what it's like now where nobody has a purpose. Yeah. Well, mind you, people... You were in a perspective, you didn't, you weren't hearing the things we know now from there yeah. or the politics or the things that were found out later. You yeah. were just, they fucked with us. We're going to go, you know, we're going to go payback is basically yeah. retribution was probably yeah. at the core of yeah. most people's motivations Fueled back then. by revenge. I mean, yeah, retribution, you know, there's something to be said about it. You know, people, some people don't like it, but yeah. retribution was motivating you guys. Were you not hearing anything coming back from people that were coming back? Uh, some. Uh, if we were, we weren't fucking listening because we were on our path. You were blind, you were, yeah. you were and I'll be fucking honest right now, and, I, and my girl will probably hate that I say this shit. If another fucking war kicked off and we had to go, I'd fucking go. Like, it's one of those things because you're going to need real people right now, right? Not the, the batch of what we currently have available. There are yeah. some good dudes, but you're going to want the old crusty dudes to come back and help a little bit, right? Yeah. Because that's what saved us. Yeah. Post 9-11, the guys coming back started to save the guys that were then going on their third, fourth trip. Yeah. Um, there's something to be said for that collection of information, right? The warrior you, tales. You, you can't replace that. You, you can't. can't. You can't replace an individual that goes out there, experiences, and uh, training is what it is. Sure. But it doesn't approach experience. Yeah. All uh, the tactics changed. Yeah. All the tactics changed because we were training to fight <laughs> jungle warfare or Russia. Those yeah. were the two models we had in training when I was in. Yeah. And then we start fighting a completely different animal and a completely different terrain, right? And that's why it took so long for us to get the right vehicles in place and do, do the, have better tactics. Adjust. Yeah, adjust, adjust to, the, to the battlefield. Um, but then you're fighting, and it was unconventional the whole fucking time. There was no dudes in uniforms. It was all dudes in tank tops and T-shirts, and you didn't know who the fuck was what. And it, it was just a, it was an interesting experience that I think if... 
And, and again, she's probably not gonna like that. But if fuck something kicked off, I'd probably go again uh, and do it, knowing that <laughs> it's all fucked up. Um, I don't think it was that bad. I think the preservation of life for for our guys was cool. The brotherhood you build, you, you you'll end up wanting to do it for them. It's, so the, the that's an interesting thing that I hear a lot echoed when a lot of people that go through that process. Uh, people that have never gone to war or never never been in conflict like that will say, well, you're fighting for the government, you're fighting for a little military industrial complex, yeah. and they'll, they'll have all these opinions around sure. that, which are valid. Uh, but people that are actually on that front line, they don't, they don't give a shit about Fuck any of that. that. You're yeah. fighting for survival with people around you. You're fucking splitting a Snickers bar with a dude that's on fire watch yeah. with you. You are living for each other. Yeah. And every single fucking thing you do there matters. Everything. And the, I think that is missed. People that have never experienced that won't get it. Yeah. Like it's something super fucking simple, right? Like here we do it for fitness reasons, like hydrating and drinking plenty of water. Dude, if you don't hydrate, your balance is off. Your body it moves slower. It's not efficient. So we would hydrate to make sure we were ready for the next mission. Like we would force hydrate, not because it's a thing, it's mandatory, right? But you would look at your guys and you're like, fuck, if I can't run to grab that dude or move that dude, I'm failing him. Yeah. So you start doing things. And again, this is like that. You start caring about others more than yourself. And then you hope that they care about you the way you care about yeah. them. And then it's just this fucking net of love, right? Yeah. Love and war. Yeah. And it's like, I thought it was amazing. And I, I think mean, if, there's, a, there's an honesty to that. You know, you can't, sure. you can, I mean, you can, you, you, you know that in environments like that, a fucking narcissistic personality won't survive. Right. You know? Yeah. So even in that way, you're safe from it in a way. You know? It does weed out certain personalities because nobody wants them around. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but now you've been, you know, then you get out of it. And I think that's, <laughs> that's what a lot of us that come out of some of these conflicts or come out some of these experiences and have a struggle to kind of adjust to, you know? Yeah, to reset. But uh, so you go out there. You do the work. Um, what was that like? I mean, the, uh, the going from, uh, you know, Dealing, you know, doing your <laughs> shit, you know, running, 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 running around uh, some hot topic chicks, you know, mm -hmm. to being out there in a uh, place where nobody speaks the same language. Uh, people are fighting for their land, basically, yeah. and for their interest and we local interest. You were, you were, now you are the. <laughs> I mean, real. If we think, if you, if we're honest and we think about things, I mean, we're. I'm not going to talk about politics or anything sure. like that. But uh, you were the villains in their story. Absolutely. Uh, villainy is a weird thing to kind of think about in that context, but you're you're a villain there. You're an invading force. You're a villain. Uh, you are doing things for your own people, which, in a lot of ways, is admirable and respectable. Yeah. But the people there don't want you. some of the, some of the people that didn't will not want you there. Man, you can't even fucking blame them because half of them or the majority of them, their land was being used as the playing ground. Yeah, but they didn't consent to it, and they weren't a part of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we had all these fucking war fighters from the opposite side coming in to fight in this land, but the locals weren't part of it. Yeah. They would either have to choose to who whose side they were on, right? And we kind of forced it on them too. And but they didn't want anything to do with it. Most of them tried to carry on with their lives like everyday stuff until something fucking blew up in their front yard, you know? Yeah. Then they were like, fuck. Fuck. And if it was our fault, now we've made enemies. Yeah. If it was the other dude's fault, well now we have allies. So yeah. it was always a give and take constantly depending on the situation. So it was one incident away with every person in that community from having a friend or an ally. Most of them were indifferent. Yeah. Um, we ended up 
playing this game where we would pay off certain areas because we started to find out that the bad dudes were paying them to feed them information on our route management, where we were going, all those things, timing of things. And so we ended up just covering the cost. Like, well, fuck, if they're paying you, we'll pay you more. Yeah. Right? Uh, there's different ways to handle that, that battlefield. You, you go through that experience. Now, what ends it, though? Like, what, what, what ends that experience for you? Like, how, how, how is that concluded for you? Like getting out or like leaving the war scene? Yeah, leaving that war scene. Leaving? So it's not even, it's not over yet. It's still going on in my mind. I'm just kidding. Kind of, right? It it, it always lives there. uh, Time is a flat circle. You're there. You're here. Yeah. 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 I was there just now in my mind. I was like, fine. No, you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was there today when we were driving around. I I, I remember you uh, were (laughs) driving around Tijuana. You're looking around. This reminds me of... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. The pastel colors, the weird shaped buildings that we no, were making. No fun building codes. Yeah. No <laughs> building codes at uh, all. And and the wrought iron fences, man. Yeah. And they bring they bring they bring you they bring you back to some of those moments. Yeah. And so anytime I'm around those little environments, like even uh, the the Mexican areas of Chicago or even in Phoenix, it, it triggers yeah. some some stuff, yeah. right? It's not negative anymore. It took me about five, six years to get past some of the trauma where I could be normal with people. You know, let's uh so let's you know, I don't, don't want to probe or poke. You know? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but uh what was some of the damage or trauma that you got out there as far as I mean what was taken from you? Uh, I guess I never thought of what was taken from me. You know, uh, for, me, I, for me for me for me I know what you're saying. You know, for me there's a there's an amputation in violence. Yes. You know. So can you point to what was amputated? So the violence was the same, man, just with a different fucking face, right? Um, It was a different culture, but the violence was the same. Dudes getting shot in the fucking face on the neighborhoods where we grew up and dudes getting shot in the face by us, you know? Um, So the the violence was, it just, it it fed more shit that I was bottling up and didn't know how to like process. It was being piled into the back room, basically. And I'll sort it out later. Yeah, and it's still kind of like that. Like, little things will pop up, and I'll figure it out. But I know that the most damage that it did is, for a little bit of time, I had this incredible fucking ego. But it was like rage. And yeah. so I would, I would be mad at shit for no fucking reason. I didn't know why. Okay. And it, it fucked a lot of uh, relationships. It fucked up... Was that uh, was that anger related to thinking that people didn't understand, or it was? So it was people don't understand. People are ungrateful. They didn't care the shit that I had to go through for yeah. them, right? And this is early stages. Right? After you process this shit, later on you're like, it doesn't fucking matter because I did it for me and the dudes. I didn't do it for you to be grateful to me for, yeah. right? Like the ex the the exterior people, um, the the loss of dudes, which like that always sucks. And yeah. we, we lost two dudes in our rotations. No, no, I don't want, again, I don't want to. No. You, you lost these two dudes. Uh, you know, I, I've lost a few people myself working. Um, when you lost them, uh, was there time to mourn? Or Fuck was no. it just run? Dude, it was right on to the next thing. Right on right? to the next thing. Um, one of them came to us and it all happened. We try to contain the situation, uh, but the other one was the one that'll forever stand out. And I said this to my girl once: we're having a, we're cooking some carne asada, and meat smells like meat on the grill, right? Yes, human I, or I, fucking. I, animal. I know, yeah. And the guy that we lost, we were part of the recovery team, 
right? So we were all in different vehicles. They hit a small IED. It set the back truck on fire and the doors shut. We couldn't get the back doors open. The other guys got out. And that was the, the platoon sergeant's vehicle. So it had all the grenades, extra fucking ammo. He was our supply line, right? He would yeah. run up to the trucks and bring supplies while we created this circle of, of protection for whatever we were doing. And that vehicle caught on fire. And the dude in the back, right? You know, rest his soul, the little homies up there doing doing his thing. But I think about him all the time. I, I wasn't close to him the way some of the other guys were. Yeah. But I there was this weird moment before we deployed that for some reason we were together. Yeah. And I was I was talking to him and he was super excited and I have a photo with him. Yeah. And like I don't have photos with anybody else. Yeah. So it was kind of weird. Like I, I don't know if it's just coincidence, right? Um, but I have a photo with him right before we deploy, and I took no photos with anybody else that day or at all. Yeah. But for some reason, I have one photo with this dude, which yeah. is, again, it's it's just interesting. But so he he gets stuck and he's fucking screaming and you can hear some chatter over the radios. And we try to do something about it. Then everything starts cooking off inside the truck. There's no way. So there's nothing us. we can do, because now if you open those doors, shit starts blasting yeah, out. And whoever's in front of it's fucked. Yeah. Right. And so that goes down. The whole vehicle gets fucking totaled. Security moves around. We, we secure the area because we don't want them to come and take stuff. Right. Of course. Uh, and then in the evening, so then we're still high guard, high security, right? And as soon as it got dark, the commander came out, jumped into our truck, and he's like, "Let's go. We're recovering the body now." Okay. So we go out there in the cover of night, right? Nods on, shits all over the place. We pull up, we pull the truck in, start pry barring everything, get it all cranked up and open, and that wave of, I mean, you can smell other stuff. Yeah, but yeah. nothing smells the same as fucking yeah, flesh. Burning, burning human flesh and hair smells a very specific way and will be with you forever. Yeah. And so we move the, the parts, and if you're watching from the outside in, pieces kind of fall apart. Nothing stays together because the tendons and ligaments all fucking char up, right? Um, except for what's stuck to, like, clothes. I think, like, the fat melted into things. It was just chunks of stuff. Gets put in the bag... The bag gets put in the back of our truck, right? I jump in, I drive, we drive everything out. We took the things that were sensitive, the radio and the, the body, the American body, and we drive back and the whole drive, the whole truck just so smells smell. like smell. meat, right? And it's fucking crazy that at the same time that you know this is the body of a human friend of yours, you haven't eaten in like seven or eight fucking hours you're hungry as fucking thirsty your brain yeah it goes back and forth it goes back and forth with i'm hungry i know this smell and then you start getting sad and you're like fuck that's my dude i'm not thinking of him like food but the brain is such an interesting fucking thing that it it was this back and forth and i think i fucked myself in that moment for the future because now every time i cook out or do anything you think that first moment that i smell the fucking meat i'm like fuck comes back to that that one moment where we were overseas in this fucking desert scooping this body up and uh from the time that happened you delivered the body was there how much time do you have to talk about it zero how much zero you're back we drop out we pulled the body out right not drop it because we were very careful with our people once they were it it was like a ceremonial thing for us to one recover i was like fuck let's go i'm going with right we went we recovered the body we bring it back and then that was that was they cut us off from anything related to that incident they're like cool man go shower up get something to eat get something to drink 
go talk to whoever's in charge to get you on your next thing. And it was right back to it. Yeah. So it was no downtime, no conversations were had. Um, yeah. The second one was almost easier. Um, after, after this experience, the second one was yeah. easier. It was easier because you kind of started to expect certain things because you can hear when other people got fucked up, right? Because yeah. the, the, the major net, be like, oh, somebody got blown up over here and somebody got this over here and over there and over here and over there. So it's constantly, they're talking about these things. And, um, and, and when, when they're talking about that, are you thinking about that yourself? Is like, well, maybe I'm going to get this shit done to me today. Maybe tomorrow. Is it, it's, it's the end. Is death basically on your mind? Early or, it was. And then you're just like, let's fucking do this shit. Yeah. Who cares? Right? And then, man, I remember this super motivational speech from one, one of the leaders that came through. And he, he didn't push the idea of, like, dying for your country is this patriotism thing. Right? Because he didn't want anybody to get hurt. But it was kind of the flip. Like, make everybody pay. But if you die, you will be a fucking hero to the land. So we did have this sense of, like, well, if I get fucked up, imagine... Times 10, my mom's smile on her face. Obviously, she's going to be sad, but the, the, the feeling of, like, my son did something crazy for this country, right? Like, gave his life. That was, like, the ultimate sacrifice. Like, that's kind of what was embedded in us midway through. We're like, we're going to stick this through, and if we die, we're fucking done. But it's awesome and patriotic, right? Crazy way to fucking think about things. It, it is, but it, it kept it, us it, motivated. Yeah, well, it's, it, again, it's crazy, but it's necessary to survive yes. that experience. That it was moment. a survival you know, mindset. You know, again... It may seem illogical or un completely incomprehensible for somebody to think about it. Like, that's stupid. That's idiotic. Why would you do that shit? Yeah. It's survival. Yeah. Survival. You can't fucking survive without that, that type of thought process. Sure. And I think it's been the true, like, since wars yeah. were invented. Um, how many times did you deploy out there? I did one 15-month rotation. Okay. Right? And I didn't want to leave, so I stayed those extra three months. It's 12 months typically. And so for those 12 months, I came home for like a week and then went back. And then when everybody's cycling back to come home, I was like, oh, I'm not done, guys. <laughs> like, let's stay a little longer. So I stayed for the rear detachment and basically spent the next three months like, just hanging out, organizing stuff. And then I would come back at the end of those three months. So were, like, you know, you saying that, what were you avoiding back home? Everything. I had had a kid like, while just, I was deployed. Just, just, a relationship. When you, when, you, when you said that, like the extent, I did a lot of that shit yeah. myself. I didn't. I spent like two years working and never never went on vacation, but usually because I was avoiding shit yeah. back home. So you were avoiding. I was avoiding a relationship that had produced a child, right? And yeah. she was born while I was overseas. There was nothing you could do about coming home for that. No, shit. of course, you of just, course. You deal with it how it goes, and I didn't know what the fuck. I was going to do as a dad. You know what I mean? You, 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 your, your whole being is dedicated to surviving, keeping the people around you surviving, killing the fuckers that are trying to kill you. And uh, your brain is on survival, basically, yeah. and running. And all of a sudden, oh, chill out. No, you're dad now. Yeah. So that's what you're running from. Yeah. That, that's what you're avoiding, basically. That's what I was avoiding. And which is, it, think about, I mean, again, it, People that haven't been through it can't comprehend that. Yeah. But it's it is uh, the mind fuck of it. Um, how you know you're, you go from a place where death and delivering yeah. visiting death yeah. on people to now welcoming life, and welcoming life was more scary to you, or yeah. welcoming life was more scary yeah. to you than than death. Well, welcoming it and the responsibilities and uncharted territory. 
completely unknown. Like how? Completely yeah. unknown. I was like, I just got good at this fucking job, and now I have to leave it and go home and do something I'm not good at. I don't yeah. know how to do this. Um, so right, right before leaving completely out of the military, on my way out, that's when they pitched the drill sergeant training. Like, okay, hey, man. The idea of teaching, passing on stuff that you knew. And uh, I'll make that one short, but basically I, I signed up for it, went into the reserves, became a drill sergeant, and fell in love with teaching. Okay. And that was like the starting point for where I wanted to be where I am now. Okay. Even um, just being able to teach and share experiences and the idea that though experiences are valuable, you'll never recreate the event. So no. you can only learn what you should be doing, right? Yeah. And to deal with conflict. But that event isn't a defining moment in the sense of the tactics applied because we can't recreate that moment again, yeah. right? It won't ever be the same bad guy. It won't ever be the same battlefield. It will never be the same anything. You aren't, you aren't even the same, yeah. right? Decisions I would make when I was 16 when I didn't give a shit about anything versus decisions I have to make now with five kids and a family. Yeah. Like, they're very different decisions. Um, did, did, was there any, you know, I don't know, like for me, uh, not being able to go, Mm-hmm. And now having, you know, now you're, you know, those that can't do teach is something you hear sometimes. Right. There, right. I hear that. Yeah. But uh, was there any conflict in you with that? From not doing it anymore and having to switch to teaching? Yeah. Not really. Uh, I kind of, I kind of decided that a little bit of some bad leadership uh, wasn't, was enough for me to be done with the military as a whole. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to stay in the military, uh, how can I be part of the leadership? And that's what drill sergeant, that's what drove me in that direction. Forming people? Yeah. More of an input on how not to be, right? Don't be a piece of shit and you'll go a long way. Uh, And that's what, that's why I think I was so attracted to that. Uh, And it gave me a chance to be home and start the process of um, figuring out how to be a normal human being. (laughs) Yeah. And a dad all at once (laughs) back in society. Um, Yeah. And there is a learning curve, man. I was, I was angry. I was emotional. I didn't understand my feelings at the time. I pushed people away. Uh, I broke this, this relationships. Self-isolation. Big time. Self-isolation while being with people, yeah, which yeah. is even worse, man, because they're with you physically, but you're like shunning them. Yeah. And it's, it, it feels like I went back and I didn't ask for, for forgiveness from these people in my life at those times because I wanted them to, to t- comfort me with their acceptance of my apology, but I apologized because I was truly sorry I was a piece of shit to them. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted them to know. Yeah. Um, I didn't want them to forgive me, yeah. per se, but I wanted them to know that I forgave myself for how fucked up I was in those relationships. Yeah. And I failed as a dad one, two, three times, and then I fixed it, and now I'm like living in this powerhouse dad mode, right? Where yeah. I still think of all the fucked up shit but I'm able to fix and focus. Yeah. And it took that long. So I yeah. think when guys come out of the military, they go through these trauma, traumatic events, uh, there's a fucking process and a time frame. Like yeah. you're not going to come back and just be a good dude. And even if it seems but, like but you're that, a good that, dude, you're that, hiding shit. That is expected. It is expected. That is expected. It's very cultural. It, that is, for me, it, uh, you know, getting out of what I did uh, cost me a marriage. Yeah. You know? um, and I was a horrible person <laughs> coming out of it. Uh, again, unprocessed trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, manifests itself in different ways. Yeah. Self-isolation, uh, pushing people away. The ego aspect of it is an interesting one. For sure. P- people don't understand. People have no clue. Yeah. Uh, I did this, I did that. Nobody's patting me on the back. There's nothing yeah. that that type of shit, I guess, I, I remember going through myself. 
you, um, you know, what was a what was your coping mechanism? You know, coming out of that, you know, you 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 again, you you go into teaching, um, into forming people. You know, we all have you know our ways. Mine yeah. was uh, three cans of Foster's, uh, three cans of Foster's uh, a beer. Uh, a night to pass myself uh, uh, to completely unconsciously out. That was uh, kind of my one of my coping mechanisms. Yeah. Uh, uh, Self isolation was another one. I was actually I, did, I actually decided to go through my immigration process as I left because of my you know dire situation here. So it was it was a shit show. Yeah, it was a horrible shit show for me. Um, like, did you have anything like that going on? I did. I don't know that. I mean, I was. A, I did the, the drinking, I did the drug use. Um, I don't know that I necessarily have a, an addictive personality, but I have more of a understanding when something just isn't good for me anymore, Yeah. right? And I didn't learn that till after I learned that I sucked at relationships. <laughs> so it kind of helped me figuring out relationships stuff, helped me figure out myself in a yeah. way. And so uh, though I was doing all those things and partying and spending obnoxious amounts of money and trying to impress people in different ways because my military service wasn't enough, so now I'm trying to like showboat with cash and be the macho dude. Um, Jiu-jitsu and fighting and stuff like that was a big cope as well. Like that's where I was good for myself. Um, but around society, I sucked, man. I remember crying, seeing veterans on the side of the road asking for dollars and shit. I'm like, how is this motherfucker on the side of the road? And, and you know, he did this for his country. I know what that dude did. And, you know, like it was, it was a weird emotional time. But all the coping mechanisms, I think, were in pushing people away to feel something again, to feel yeah. the conflict of them saying, fuck it, I'm done with you. And now you're like, well, well no, no, don't leave me, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like a, you know, cast a line yeah. and pull them in a little bit. Yep. And then you, you keep toss doing them that. And that's damaging to people, man. Well, yeah, and of we, course it is. we do that because we're seeking something that we haven't processed yet. Yeah. And that's why I really enjoy getting into like the psychedelics and doing the illicit <laughs> drugs that everybody's afraid of that liberate you, your mind and allow you to see things just a little bit differently. Did, did you do that like when you came out of it and you started going into this, you know, we'll talk about substances. Yeah. Um, was it something that was introduced to you by other people that were doing these? Uh, so uh, I, had, I had done mushrooms and acid trips uh, as a young man, mm -hmm. right? Early teens-ish or late teens actually. Uh, and so I kind of knew what they, what they were like, but I didn't remember. And they were done differently. You know what I mean? Like drug use as like a teenager, you do it just to fuck around and have fun. Yeah. Now you do it kind of with like a purpose and some intent, right? You have some questions that are weighing you down and I want to explore these questions in a state of mind that isn't normally the way I see things or yeah, there's, feel things. Yeah, there's uh, you know, Terrence McKenna books and people that have a little bit of internet is telling you a few things about uh, yeah. these substances and what they're for. So there's more intention behind it. Yes. So basically the intention change behind your use of these substances. Yep. Uh, mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, what was that like? And That's, so, dude, it's great. I actually, I have a log. <laughs> I have a log that I kept and I totally made it fun. And I was, this was an LSD one. I totally had fun with it. Like I was like, all right, I'm going to log every 30 minutes something. 
of this experience. Okay. Right? And, and I did it kind of like a Star Trek Captain's Log, right? And it, I, it, it was so much fun. And so for six hours, I have these 30-minute intervals of uh, descriptions as to what I was feeling, like the first onset of what it felt like when the body took effect, right? Yeah. The body buzz. And then what it, what it felt like when like my eyes started to connect with, with the dope, right? And, and how, then how the mind set itself apart from everything. And then seeing myself from outside looking in and inside looking out and all of those things together and in between. And then being able to like, it does feel like it's kind of like blowing you apart, right? You're like expanding out from the skeleton out but when you're able to like reset it, then you can start pursuing the questions that you're after. Yeah. So first you have to learn how to take the drugs, yeah. like, right? And I hate using the word drugs and dope because it sounds negative, um, but they're just the words for, yeah, for what mean, you're doing, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, sub, a alter, mind-altering substances. Mind-altering substances. There you go. And once you learn how to, and this is where people most of the time don't, don't do it more than once or twice because it freaks them out because of the lack of control. We're very control-based animals, right? Yeah. Humans. Yeah. And get, learning how to not control the high because that's, that's not what I'm saying because that just goes back to control, right? I, uh, I think you're uh, having an intention behind the, the use of The it. drive. Yeah. The, the drive. The, the, what, are you, what are you doing and why? This is, yeah, exactly. You, you set the tone for what you want out of it and you start to get better. So then I was, now I was using, I was taking a dose, you know, randomly once every three months or something just to see if I can start toning some things down. Yeah. And I sat and I went into those super dark places and I relived a lot of that stuff. Did and it, I cried did, a lot. And was it, was it, was it a time machine for you in a way? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's something I hear commonly. And again, that went through my own experiences with the uh, mushrooms uh, yeah. and, uh, and other substances as well. It were like, fairly recently for me it was like three four years ago that i had to kind of go through that process to kind of you know check i i didn't have anybody in mexico showing me any of this you know mushrooms you know, are here in the culture yeah. you know you know but uh we didn't we don't have a relationship to drugs like the virgining kind of like therapeutic or homeopathic type relationship that the u.s has with yeah. uh, some of these psychoactive drugs now um very early on, when I started doing my thing, I had some pretty interesting and and knowledgeable guides, you know, point point the way. And yeah. when it came to that, uh, including a very famous podcaster that kind of pointed <laughs> me the way to yeah. some of that uh, therapy myself. Yeah. Um, but I remember seeing the use of hallucinogenics, uh, and the use of mushrooms and stuff like that, recreationally. Yeah. Uh, by some people, and uh, some people being upset that it didn't do what they thought it was going to do for them. Mm. And, uh, you know, the Terrence, I think Terrence McKenna has this whole, uh, beware of unearned wisdom. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, I, I've, I went through it with some people that know, uh, some people that have an, an ancestry with them that, uh, respect it as a medicine basically. Yeah. So for me, it was a process of walking or approaching it. You know, you prepare your body, you prepare your mind, yes. you fast, you you write intention down, yeah. and then you take a dose. Yep. Right? From bufo to whatever you want. Mm -hmm. There's always an intention behind it. But yeah, for me, I remember having the experience of it being a time machine. Yeah. Having, uh, having everything that you said, oh, that's behind me. <laughs> and realizing that yeah. there, the, the, I remember this uh, <laughs> this lady that was with me that were for one of them, 
she, she said, like, what are you trying to figure out? Oh, I said, some of these things that are behind me, I want to I, I want to figure out some of these things. There's there's no there's no behind you. Yeah. You know, it's, you're you're here, you're there. It's with you always. It's with you always. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the going back in time, figuring some of these things out, you know, you, 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 you see what you went through. Um, the hallucinogenics themselves um, obviously provide a clarity to some of these experiences. You can kind of step outside of it and look at it. Yeah. Uh, what effects did it have on you afterwards? I mean, what, what, what happens to the rage that you experience? Dude. What happens to the... Uh, it is all healing. Uh, and I know it's, it's, it's tough for the cool guys, and the, the bravado dudes to talk about some of these topics, but it's healing, man. It, it, it's healing and it's reconnecting with parts that you said like earlier, you lose certain things with, with high levels of stress and violence. And you so there's, lose there's, there's connections. An, there's an amputation. Yeah. The yeah. amputations happen and it, it, they're stronger emotionally than they are physically for most people, right? They don't know how to deal with it. It's easy, to, and it's not easy, because I've spoken to a few buddies who, and this is a sidetrack, who've lost limbs, and their their trauma is more severe yeah. internally than the actual limb that was lost, yeah. right? So I was always like, well, fuck, I didn't lose any fucking limbs, but I know there's a shit ton of stuff inside. So what I mean by, by healing for me was every time that I, that I, I, I took some with the intentions of figuring something out, it healed something that I wasn't necessarily looking for, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is where I start to get in better shape physically. Like yes. something happened in that trip that was like, hey, Raul, pay attention to your body. This is the long game. Like your body can't be suffering the drinking. It can't be suffering shitty food. You got to take care of yourself working out. That's, that's, that's a, I mean, not drinking for me, that was... Yeah. What, whatever, you know, yeah, we, we, we can talk about what it is and whatever voice that is or sure. whatever the Wi-Fi we access. Yeah. He said like, Hey dude, fucking quit drink. Yeah. You know, that, for me, that was kind of, I started through there. That's awesome, man. And when, when, uh, when I say amputation, uh, for people to, to kind of get it clearer, um, parts of you die get, or get cut away mm -hmm. after you go through a violent experience. And we don't know about some of these things because it's not apparent to a lot of us. It's not like cutting a finger off. Right. Um, it is um, losing an innocence. Mm -hmm. uh, it is losing um, the ability to say, well, that's never happened to me before. But now that experience defines who you are from now on. Yeah. And whoever you were dies. That's what I'm talking about yeah. when I say amputation to people out there. Kind of like, uh, <laughs> like, don't think metaphor. <laughs> you know? uh, but... Uh, but so yeah, you start you start building your body up. It does. It, it one session gives me the 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 boost of confidence to fix my body so that it's a machine that can be used properly, like at its full potential, right? And then another episode, the mental clarity and the the seeking of more spiritual connection. So like I've just restarted reading the Bible. Every like five or six years, I, I read it no. to see if I can pick something new up. But now I'm like excited about it. Yeah, yeah. Right. And a lot of it has to do with Jordan Peterson. And he suggested that people read the Reader's Digest version of the Bible. Yeah. It's glorious. It reads like yeah. a novel. It's not all like choppy and weird. So it reads really cleanly. Uh, and I'm excited. I, I'm excited to go home 
and read more of it right now when I get back. But the spiritual side of it and the connections, so the mental connection to spirituality and all these things that I was suppressing, Yeah. right? You had to suppress it for war and combat. Yeah, the whole like... Yeah, you believe in God and you're gonna you're gonna survive and do good things, man. You do a lot of horrible fucking things that the way yeah, you were yeah. raised yeah. is unacceptable in yeah. the eyes of God. Yeah, I mean, if you go to if you go to war, all the shit that you, this is not allowed. You yes. shouldn't do this. Turn the other cheek. Right. All that goes out the window. Yeah. It's super counter to everything we were raised to believe, right? Especially as Roman Catholics. Um, and so, I healed. I start healing the mental portion of things, and that's when I start doing like the apologies and the like swallowing my pride and calling people and being like, I totally fucked that shit up. Yeah. You didn't deserve it. Yeah. I'm sorry that I'm better now, but I wasn't better then for you. And it, it changed that part of me. So then I was excited to explore the mental clarity, right? Yeah. The release of those things. And you know, it's, I'm thinking of it now, right? It, it, it's an amputation, but like fucking reptiles, if you can heal these things, they regrow. Yeah, they'll, re- they'll re- come re- back. Maybe not the same. Never be the same. Sometimes stronger. But they come back in a way where you can help others. And I think that's where I find a lot of my release is in teaching people, sharing everything. I don't just share tactics and fighting. Like I share uh, stories from failed marriages to being a good dad to cleaning my fucking pool. Like the dumbest shit that people might not think is important. Uh, if I find something that I find a connection to, I share it with people because I want them to have uh, a little bit more than just the normal. It is. I think it's something that is missing a lot in our you know, modern culture. Uh, again, being formative and forming other people is one thing, but uh, I think in a lot of ways, as, as far as me witnessing you and going through your process, uh, turning yourself from a warfighter uh, to a survivor to a mentor. Yeah. And uh, mentor figures are, you know, they're, they're everywhere. Teachers come in all forms and shapes, you yeah. know, and uh, sometimes uh, some of these teachers are not going to be in a classroom talking to you about tactics. They're going to be talking to you about failures yeah. and about shit they did and shit they did wrong uh, and basically guiding you on your own path. That's, that's uh, that, that, that tells you that you can tell some of these people apart, you know. Some people don't want to open up that side of them and it's, you know, it's viable that people don't want to share some of those aspects. They, they, it is a very vulnerable thing to do, you yeah. know. Um, somebody told me this when I was going through my sobriety. Um, a, f- a friend of mine is a, like a he's a Christian minister, um, great dude, love him. G- Jesus comes every every single every single sentence he <laughs> comes out, comes out of his mouth. Um, but he told me like Ed, what are you afraid of going through this process? Well, you know, number one, dying. You know, stop drinking. That's uh, I'll kill you. Uh, but the second one was judgment. Huh. I was afraid of what people were going to say about me and my experience. I'm going to say they're going to say I'm weak. You know, they're going to say I'm you know whatever. And he said, "Man, be open with it. Who cares? You can't you can't pickpocket a naked man." Yeah, absolutely. And I remember just kind of sharing some of that stuff openly for the first time and seeing the effect it had on people. And instead of scorn, which I did get some of it, of course. Um, but instead of that, I got a. DMs constantly to this day, people starting off on their own process. Well, uh, your liberation liberates others. Like yeah. your ability to do that will help others do that that don't have the same strength, right? I mean, I mean, it's a rest- uh, we. I mean, I show people how to get out restraints of all kinds. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, this is just another one. This is just another one. So, you know, you exited uh, them. 
instruction side of and you became a drill drill sergeant basically for, mm-hmm. for a bit. You know, you go through your process of healing and building your money up and stuff like that. Uh, what, what part of that do you go into law enforcement? So after some of those points, right? Yeah. Which is tricky, right? Because yeah. law enforcement, polygraphs, <laughs> you can't have... Dude, I completely understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I completely understand. You, you, yeah, they don't want people that uh, will actually you know, be good at that job. So you know. They don't. Uh, <laughs> Again, they want people they can, re- I use the word rely on, not manipulate, because it sounds better for them. They can rely on <laughs> to do what they ask. Uh, and it, 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 it's okay. I, I mean, I get it, right? We're, we're out. We're, yeah, we're, we're out. It doesn't we're matter out. now. We're out. We're out. Um, but I remember having to take a polygraph. And, I mean, some people fail those, some people don't. Basically, to me, if it was never documented, it never happened, so there's no need to... Of course. Profess the the events. So it was whatever. And so I take the polygraph. I get into the police department. I never wanted to be a cop. I tell this story just loosely because I didn't. Uh, I was was with the the same person that I uh, was with when I deployed and had the child with. And she was an uh, an officer. And she had filled out the application for me and did all that stuff. And I was like, uh... Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. she w- basically wanted me to come back because I was already on contracting stuff. So I was like in Australia or in Barbados or Jamaica. That's kind of like my flow. I went to the cooler places. Yeah. And uh, it was a good time. And so that brought me back to being a cop or signing up to be a cop. And again, it went through the same spiel. Uh, I started to recognize better leadership traits in myself. And I was like, man, I, I really, I'm good at the. I'm good at processing information and then helping other people with that same information. So yeah. I was already setting myself up for more like teaching roles and um, the responsibility of transferring information. Yeah. And so became a cop after probation. I was in the paddy wagon sitting with an old timer. Okay. Straight fucking the mayor of... The district, right? I was going to call the district out. No need to, to name names, but he was the mayor of the area where we worked. Okay. A hundred percent political. He knew everybody's first name that was a business owner. He would have his Hennessy VSPO or whatever that one is, the VSOP, in the back of these very well-established Russian Jewish mafia places. And we would go there and we would take our our vests off and we would drink and be merry and belly dancers and yeah the cool shit that people don't get to experience when they're too goody two shoes of course because they're not they're, they're not willing to to be a part of that and so we're having a conversation and he's like i was telling him like military experience the things that I, i've done and and that i like to do surveillance and track people and all this stuff and he's like oh my buddy he's a supervisor on the narcotics team okay i was like awesome man well you know if they ever need anybody i'm i'd be interested he makes a phone call and dude it it happened so fast as soon as i got off probation i'm sitting in the back parking lot of our district and i'm meeting these guys and i I do an in-process meeting with each of them each team so there's two guys per car all junkers burned out dudes some look like bikers some look like crackheads some look like fucking um College students, like everybody could buy something. Yeah. They were, it was a cool collective of dudes. And so I had to go meet each one of the teams and do a mini field interview with each of them. Yeah. Right. And so I met all of them. I come back, I talk to the supervisor guy, and then they're kind of like, well, it's nice meeting you. And they leave. 
like the whole cold shoulder thing. Like, yeah. you'll never know. You'll never know <laughs> if, yeah. if you're in or not. And uh, I'm on patrol, and then I get a packet, and he's like, hey, the team likes you. We'll take you on. We just got to talk to the commander here and see if he'll release you to us as a loaning, as a loaned officer, right? Yeah. So he loans me out to them. And I just got to come back and report, show that I'm alive right? once a month, let them know what's up. And then I was running around doing yeah. fucking narco shit, which was, it was a blast, man. It, to be, look, you're involved in the criminal element, but you're a good guy. So you have like a pass from everybody, basically. Yeah. Like you're, not that you're not touchable, because if you fuck with the wrong people, you get smoked. Um, but people won't mess with you. But you have to give something up. Of course. Right? Either you learn to, to command the respect or you demand the respect. And if you demand it, now you're running into conflict, right? You're either going to earn it or you're going to demand it. One of the two. And so we all earned it. We all had our place in the communities. Everybody that knew, knew all of our confidential guys, they were little rats. So they played the game too. But uh, in that time frame, the, <laughs> that's such a hard lifestyle, man, because it's so high energy you're like running around this whole city, untouchable, unstoppable, and you're like debriefing informants here, and they're ratting somebody out, and you're putting on a fucking armored vest to go hit a house with a mask on because you can't, you're not going to get another chance to do this, and getting warrants signed overnight to hit it at six in the morning, like all sorts of cool stuff happening, very fast paced. It was eighteen hour days, right? So again, that led to more conflict at home in in uh, in a community that you kind of. That you knew. That you knew. Yeah. But you're doing that shit at home now. Now it's at home. Now it's at yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a different, that's a different animal. But here, here, here was my take. And this, again, it goes back to the very patriotic, very love of country uh, and, and an understanding that I wasn't in war anymore. I was home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I didn't treat, though they're criminals and though they're bad guys and they're doing fucked up shit, I didn't treat them like pieces of shit. Yeah, they're American citizens. Really. You never, you, you never made the mistake of dehumanizing no. those fuckers. No, and it, it kept me safe, and I think it kept the guy safe because there's an exchange of respect, even though you, they know. Like yeah. at that time, the criminal element was like that. They they appreciated the catch and the fight. You know, they're like, yeah. "Fuck, you got me. Good job, man." Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they they knew they got caught. Uh, but there was always this respect for for fellow Americans, regardless of the fact that you were on that side of the law perceivably, and I was on this side of the law. So I never treated anybody very anybody badly. We fought people, took guns off people, took drugs off people, gave drugs back so that they would snitch on other people, right? Like, that's another thing, too. Like, if you're not, if you're not in that lifestyle, to, to look at some shit you took off a dude and be like, mm, is this worth no. this or is this worth more to him? Yeah. And giving it back to him. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, thanks, man. Yeah. I was like, hey, next time I see you, I might need a favor. He has a resource. Yeah. And so I started to play that game more and more, especially with small amounts of shit that were irrelevant. Right. But some of the younger guys or some of the guys with different personalities would like that. They jump all over. I got a drug arrest. This is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Like, to, to, yeah. A hundred dollar bill. Yeah. You know, right. Balloons and like, like drug bust like, of the century. When I can make that dude my guy. Yeah. Um, so that was a, that was a lot of fun. Two, three cell phones managing CIs. Right. Um, we had Better trained. Basically, you were doing all this stuff and learning how you went. Dude, it was... <laughs> this is the best school. It's the, the best, best school. Best school. And 
<laughs> it was on the job training for other shit. <laughs> of course. Of course. Like I get you, man. Dude, I get you. It, it was such a good time. And I, and that's how I, I had a blast with it. It never stressed me out. Uh, I think our, our conviction rate for the team was like something like 98%. So we wrote really good paper. Yeah. Right. And if we put you in cuffs and you weren't going to work for us, we had a good case. Yeah. You know, and like we wrote the best papers. Like I remember like writing the description of the direction of the wind as it was blowing garbage across the street. But like, how do you fucking like, that's how in tune to what I was watching and observing. Right. Yeah. Like, how do you fight against something like that in yeah. court? Like the judges just like, fuck, these dudes were in it. Yeah. Right. And it was the art of storytelling. Of and course. I was telling the court basically like this is our experience. So like enamoring them with the events and bringing them into how much we cared about the community that we would take those details and put them into into writing to, to create these convictions. And we didn't put anybody that didn't deserve it away. Uh, we made sure that and anybody who we were going to use, we tried to use them as best we can, but we couldn't keep informants for us long term. Yeah, because we were a short term team. Right. We usually two to three days and we make a buy and a bust. Yeah. There was midterm teams and then there was like the ghosts of the Chicago Police Department, like th three to nine month missions. Like f you disappear for three months in the same city you live in. That's wild. That's that's insane. Um, those guys were like up there, top tier guys. And like these dudes face tattoos, neck tattoos, like they looked like yeah. the guys, you know. Um, so it was always fun to work with those guys. But the short term teams, we were fast. We were doing buys and turns three to four or five days, uh, you know, really fast paced. A lot of heroin at the time when I was still with those guys. That's when the, the heroin spike. What, what, uh, what year was that? It's like, like 17, 16, 17. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, kind of like the turn of legalization of weed and some of those uh, drug fields in Mexico yeah. go, going from weed to heroin, basically. Yeah. And then kind of the, the end of the uh, prescription opiate epidemic and then heroin being the new yeah. thing. Yeah. And then fentanyl, yeah. which is, I guess, now-ish. But at that time, when, when that shifted, it's funny because if you decriminalize one but not all of them, then you get another surge of something else. Yeah. Something takes its place. Yeah. And that's really what was happening. And so heroin was a big one, and that was easy because I'm Mexican, and it's easy to talk to the Cheap Hispanic by. community. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to get, get, get by with them. Uh, I wasn't perfectly set for a lot of stuff. Like, I don't look like a junkie. So it was tough for me to do a lot of stuff, but it worked. Long yeah. sleeve shirts, they do a lot, especially short-term team guys, right? Long-term, you're not going to get away with a lot of stuff fully tatted, right? Because people yeah. get to know you. Yeah. Um, but but short-term, three to five buys. Defining defining marks on individuals working that line of work is pretty basically. Not long-term. It's short, 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 yeah, short, super uh, short shelf life. And so, and what we would do, we would rotate what's called enforcement. So we were the guys that would come and grab dudes and put them in cuffs to not burn our other guys, uh, we would rotate positions in okay. areas where we were starting to spend too much time in. Yeah. Uh, and then when it was too much in one area, when we've made like six arrests in like three city blocks, we're like, we can't be here for now. <laughs> like we gotta go somewhere else. <laughs> like move. these motherfuckers know. Um, and we didn't have, we had car changes every week. We would swap out cars, the whole team. Um, but even then, man, like the, the criminal element is smarter than we give them credit and they keep track of things. Yeah, so you, so you're you're again you're you're basically learning on the fly. The best school on the planet. Like that's that's that was my school basically. Yeah. Like, oh, here, let's go do this shit now. Um, what were you feeding yourself with as far as information? Were you were you were you going off training with other people? Were you reading for yourself? Were you 
going off the experience of the people around you? Like, uh, like what was that process like? So for, for the first few was all about absorbing what the guys that I was with. Yeah. Right. Basically monkey see monkey do yeah. follow the leader. Yeah. yeah. Cause they had their patterning. They had their way of, of doing yeah. specific things. And so the first, first three, four months was modeling after those guys. And then it was like, well, how can we make some of the stuff that we need to do better? Yeah. Right. Um, how can we do better at fighting in tight spaces? Because now we're getting in fights in alleyways between two fucking buildings or behind a dumpster. Right? No, so so this is again the, the, when we were kind of going approaching this yeah. uh, the the aspect of you doing a job where you're not necessarily trained to do that job and trying to figure out ways of doing that job better. Yeah, and nobody's going to do that for you. Right, you have to fucking figure that shit out yeah. for yourself. Um, from what holster to carry. Mm-hmm. To if uh, you know you want to carry something to, in support of that holster, to how to train to fight somebody, you know, um, all these kind of problems that started presenting themselves in your career as you were working in that environment, where basically you're training yourself up to be better and proficient in that environment. Basically, yep. um, what mistakes did you make? <laughs> all of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, w- I would say like, uh, well, Vic, no, what? Wow. How did you fuck up? So uh, uh, a few times, so dudes would rob undercover dudes all the time, right? Um, Dudes would run and take your shit and you'd have to chase them. And then that leads to a fight where something falls out that shouldn't have fallen out. And you're like, fuck, that needs to stay in the holster. Retention. Retention. Retention really matters for smaller guns. That's that's an interesting one. Like, uh, so... How did you solve a retention problem? Like, what did you have and what did you replace it with? And what was the process like that for, for you? So a lot of stuff, for me, started to go deeper into a pocket. Okay. Right? So deeper like concealment. Yeah, because it's hard to conceal a, a police-issued Glock 19 or <laughs> 17 or anything like that. I remember, we, we got Glock 17s and we were told to conceal them. <laughs> it only took, a, took a, I think, a Marisoc guy showed us how to cut them down into a right. 19 handle. Yeah. But this is before Instagram. The inter- this is too early 2000s. Yeah. We didn't know shit. Yeah. So it's always fascinated me when people go through the process of kind of like whittling shit out and putting into the bare minimum as yeah. far as their. And this is basically what you now kind of teach, you know. But uh, right. so you deeper concealment options. Deeper concealment. If if you and here's the difference in how it translates to now. Then it was for sure I have to go hands on. Because I'm trying to arrest these dudes. You, yeah, you're trying you to have to touch you ha- these you're, motherfuckers. You're, you're going into a confrontation. Yeah. You you're, you can't run the other way. Right. Avoidance is not the op- right. is not an option. Yeah. Because we do talk about all those things. Of course, of those course. are the best options. Yeah, of course. But you can't in in a job setting, which it, it like hyper amplifies the need for good equipment, good tactics, good everything, because <laughs> yeah. you're gonna lose your shit. Yeah. Um, so, and I remember picking up other dudes' guns, like our guys running yeah. in unsecured holsters. Shit would fall out, and I'm the second guy running behind him, and he's running behind the other dude. And I, I would just yell at him, like, go, 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 I got it. And I yeah. would pick it up for him, and I would put it in my pocket, and we'd keep going because we can't leave a gun on the fucking street. Right? Of course not. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's chasing him, and, and those little moments of fuck-ups yeah. were teaching. Already I was collecting data and information on yeah. how to make a, a better, this job better yeah, for, or safer, right? Yeah. There are programs. There's, I know the FBI has a program for undercover guys and all this shit, um, but it's, it's again, it's the way the tactics were for the military. They're not relevant right now. They yeah. were like what they learned in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. But like now it's different. And so, yeah, putting stuff in pockets, smaller guns, 
So as soon as that shit happened, dropping a 19, I was like, fuck, all right, I'm going to go get this 38 special, qualify with it really quickly so it's on the books with the department, and if I use it, it's authorized. Um, that would go in a pocket or in a fucking... I had a hoodie with a zipper on the inside, and then that was in my underwear. Yeah. Right? And then I can, I can have my hands in my hoodie and take them out and not worry about it sagging. Yeah. Right? Because it sags because of the weight, so that was a no-go. Yeah. And, and it prints a little bit because of the way it sags. But with the zipper in there, I can put it into my belt line, like into my underwear. And I would wear really tight, uh, what are they called? Um, the tighty whiteies, the white underwear, the yeah, little yeah. super tight ones. Not the boxer briefs where shit falls out if you put them in. Basically, that was like a, a, a jock strap yeah. underwear uh, pocket. Yeah. <laughs> so they would go in there and that would sit in there and it didn't look like anything. And the, back, the sweater didn't do anything. Uh, and so it was easier to hold on to things that way. Yeah. And so those little little tidbits of how not to lose things, and when somebody once they know that you're a cop, they're trying to reach for stuff too. Yeah. They're they're feeling for guns and shit. They're trying to disarm you because so retention and controlling of limbs and keeping them from producing a weapon and actually yeah. going hands on with militia because they want to murder you. Yep. Real and, life. And what's funny, right? Is uh, and, and it, it sounds like. Why don't they teach them more of that, more fighting tactics when you are end up having to fight with people? Well, that's the assumption that a lot of people have. Like, like so you see a cop uh, out there struggling with an individual yeah. that's uh, trying to arrest them, and like, what, what about all the training and shit yeah. like that? What about? Yeah, it's so the minimal, the fight training stuff. And so, again, that's that's what's leading us into what I do now with Rogue Methods and, and building people is is that idea. Like, first, got to <clears> deal with the person. Yeah. Right. As things introduce themselves into the environment, we deal with those next. Yeah. But don't hyper focus on the tools like that's the big message and the difference between what I think I do and a lot of other people do. Uh, but it, it all came from that losing a gun here, picking it up, fuck picking up somebody, fuck all the fuck ups. Uh, basically, you got the experience. You got the opportunity. You, know, you got the opportunity to fuck up in ways that are, have been so fucking dangerous. You could have yeah, died in any of for these, sure. right? You got really close to the sun, <laughs> touched it a little bit, burnt your hands, mm -hmm. and now you're coming back and telling people, you know, this is when you give an opinion on a holster, you have your opinion doesn't come from, well, you know, I EDC this one every right. time I go to Chick fil A. Yeah. No, you're, you're running after <laughs> motherfuckers. People are trying to rip that off you. Yeah. This is, this is what starts building. The groundwork mm -hmm. for what becomes rogue methods. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what rogue methods? You know, where, where basically how how it started, how your training uh, company and basically your classes kind of started. Yeah. Uh, again, a lot of them stemmed from all those <laughs> those fuck, fuck up moments. Yeah. You know, failure. Uh, like a little thing when I with people with holsters that come to the class, like I'll, I'll kind of like yank on their gun to see how loose it is. Yeah. I'm like, I know you don't fight over stuff. Because on my guns, all the retention is fucking driven down so hard that you have to fight the gun yeah, out of the holster. Snap it out. Because I'm not trying to do sub-second draws, right? Yeah. I, I think they're important and they're fun, but I'm not trying to do that when I'm wrestling a dude. And if you carry a gun, the gun shouldn't be the first thing you introduce to this fucking problem, right? Talk your way out of it, fight your way out of it, then maybe use a tool if all everything else is out of the window. Um, but you want that shit to stay in there because you don't have other levels of retention. You yeah. just have the holster, yeah, right? And your T-shirt and your body and your hands and your mind. So yeah. all of it is a holster. Like your body is the holster. I think people that, give that, too much credit to that, the, the I've never, little I've never, piece of plastic. That, I've never heard that anybody yeah. describe it. That's, that's true. Yeah. Uh, basically, your capability to retain is a holster. Yeah. Your, your, your spatial you awareness. The fucking holster. However far yeah. your hands can reach, however far your eyes can see, and your capability to fight, that's the holster. Because once that gun comes out, 
And if it's not the right tool for what's happening, yes, it might become a tool that gets used against. Yes, and it's really hard to put guns back. Yeah, you, you, really fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that exp- obviously not just that experience, right. but your experiences, the youth growing up in Chicago, your experiences in the military, your experiences in life in general, um, figuring shit out. Uh, and then break. the countless hours of training too with yeah. your friends in, in controlled environments. Yeah. Like this is where we field tested more stuff, right? We had the experiences, we had those moments where we're like, let's use that as an example for how we're going to do this. And then we would just explore hours on end on how this can be better. So that's, that's another aspect of it. So did a lot of this kind of the initial inceptions of rogue methods as, as, as basically your training arm. Was that a lot of uh, like basically in-house training that you were start that you started with people that were close to you, like a cl- core group of people, where you start to kind of yeah, figure things out? Yeah, people that were interested in the same stuff, right? Um, which is which is a uh, hard to yeah, find people sure. like, hey, dude, you want to, you know, you want you want to fuck around you for a gun? Invite so? people almost, right? Yeah, like we'd have the really good boxers, and I wanted to know how to strike in short range. Yeah. So then you invite them in to do this gun stuff. And you're like, hey, how, what punch would be the best? And how could we deliver the strongest punch at eight inches? Okay. And he's like, why would you be that close? I was like, it doesn't matter. Doesn't Just matter. help me out here. Figure and then he's out. like, okay, cool. And then they talk about torque. So when I teach people how to strike in our classes, it's to strike in that tight space. So you make it count. And I actually saw a cool video last night. Uh, there's a dude punching another dude, but he's like flailing and he's punching with his arm. Yeah. He's just slapping him basically. Yeah. And then the other dude blocks everything, cocks back, turns his body, crank, boom, yeah. knocks the dude out. I was like, that is exactly what we're trying to teach you is yeah. like, you can be devastating with less yeah. if you do it right. Yeah. And so a, a lot of it is that it's the collection of information, things that I've seen done, things that have worked for other people that I've gathered and collected. Um, so I collect and share. This yeah. is why I don't give a shit about my material the I, I, way people do. Yeah, like so, I, I bring things in. Not to cut you off, brother. I'm sorry. Yeah. I bring things in and then I share them, and yeah. I want them to live amongst the people. Yeah. Uh, versus where some people are like they trademark things or they put things in their fucking name, and like you can only come to me for this. We're kind of the opposite. I want this shit to grow with the help of the people that are experimenting with what we're doing. I got my first uh, glimpse of your work mm-hmm. through social media. You know, like most people, I guess. Um, there are people out there showing and training firearms across the country sure. in different yeah. ways. Um, there's people doing combatives of mm-hmm. different kinds and various kinds and everything like that. What caught my attention when I was seeing you do it was that you were doing it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, as an instructor myself, I can't, for the life of me, teach you anything that I can't demo directly. 100%. Right? So I've always admired people that will show me, don't tell me, you know? So um, I have this vision of you uh, in a video, basically, you know, there's some students uh, trying to fight over a pistol, and then you, well, this this is how, how I would do it, and you introduce yourself into a fray. Yeah. And it's a fray, you know. Sure. It's uh, it's unpredictable. For it's sure. unpredictable. It is a risky thing for an instructor yeah. to do, and yeah. some, yeah, you know, some people won't risk that sure. because they don't want to fail in front of students. Yeah. They don't want to injure themselves, maybe. Uh, but you're like, fucking, <laughs> <laughs> fucking, we'll do it live, right? Yeah. And you jump in there. That, that, that immediately caught my eye when, as far as your teaching style. Later on, we decided to collaborate on a class, yeah. and uh, we I, I went out there and uh, I saw you do things directly. Um, what uh, caught my really, really like caught my attention is the uh, cutting things down into their basic components yep. that you're doing uh, for people. And 
you know, you had in that class that I was with you, we had people from various backgrounds. Everything. Federal law enforcement professionals, yeah. uh, uh, professional fighters, uh, yeah. you know, you know the, the people accomplished uh, jiu-jitsu players, housewives. Yeah. Uh, the, the professional photographers that had absolutely no <laughs> violent skills uh, attached to them. And... Uh, Linemen. Linemen. Yeah. But p- people uh, gathering together in a very honest way. Mm-hmm. No egos, uh, and when I say no egos, there I mean anybody with an ego <laughs> would be, you know, we, we, we there's there's always somebody that are, that will humble you if you you think you're the biggest baddest motherfucker there basically, um, and we in an honest way it was like uh, almost like a something like a tribal experience. Yes, you know, uh, for me as I was when I'm witnessing people basically breaking their shit down to the basic components. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with us as presenters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when I walk into a room, I don't walk in fucking chin up and like, look at all these fucking peasants. You know, I'm the guy. <laughs> I don't ever walk in. I walk in. I'm Hey, what's up guys? What's going on? What's yeah. up, Tim? How are you? Good to see you, man. Let's do this. Let's do that. I throw myself in the mix right away so that they can see it can be done and I'm not scared to do it. They shouldn't be scared to do yeah. it either. But there, there's, a, so. there's a hesitance sometimes when, when the students come in and it's a new thing. Everybody's quiet. Nobody yes. knows each other. Like what the fuck's up with this I guy? I usually open with a joke. I'll <laughs> yeah. come in and say some bullshit or talk yeah. some shit about something, and it, it helps people kind of break off of that. Um, but then you got to be careful. Like we're talking about comedy, you know. I test material out, and I'm like, "Ooh, that's not going to work well." And you know, this Christian side of Alabama, and this isn't going to work well over here. This yeah. works better there. Basically, you um, have to adapt the material. And you have to care about the people. Yeah. yeah, the people make everything. So, so one thing I've noticed, I mean, training community wise. Uh, there's there's a big need out there for people that want to basically test themselves. Yes. I think uh, it's, it's, it's kind of what I, I see. Um, when I say test themselves, I mean people don't know something. I mean, if you don't know yourself, mm-hmm. you are in a very dangerous place, for sure. I think, you know? Um, and testing yourself honestly in a combative sense, specifically if you're somebody that has decided to take up arms, when I mean take up arms, I mean if somebody decides to conceal carry a firearm, they are bringing a lot of responsibility with that. Absolutely. And if that responsibility isn't fed with training, exposure, experience, controlled or otherwise, they're more of a detriment to society than, 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 a, than a benefit, right? You yeah. That the classic example of the dude open carrying a Glock with a Serpa holster walking into a 7-Eleven somewhere. Mm. Um, what is your, like, what is your purpose with your, what you're doing, uh, as far as your, the training that Rogue Methods is now kind of uh, providing to people? I mean, you're opening this type of training up to basically if, c- come one, come all, you know, if you want to, yeah. if you want to test yourself out, which is, you know, I've seen other, 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 other companies that cater to a specific, uh, type of demographic right. and, but you're, I've seen you know, various types of people Man, showing up. It's to such a wild mix. It's yeah. like you said, the housewife, the soccer mom to decorated MMA fighter yeah. or uh, a DA dudes, yeah. you know, like feds from all over, cops from all over, SWAT dudes, everybody's showing up. And what, what, what is the purpose? Like, what are you doing with it? Like, I, I, I get the, I get the, the aspect of sharing some of this stuff with yeah. them, but, uh, Specifically, what what is your intention with uh, sharing some of these experiences with these people that they might not have to roll with yeah, somebody with a firearm sure. in their lives? Like, 
The physical part of the class is just like a, a small performance point, right? Yeah. Um, but the purpose is that liberation of self. Like, come do some hard-ass shit with strangers who, by design, it's, they don't show up and take care of each other. Like, this is part of my programming for the, pro, for the course. Like, I, I build this community. I build this, like, close-knit group of people really quickly, mind you. Like, in two days, we have to be friends because I'm about to trust you guys to not break each other. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, or freak out and have these moments of insanity where you start fucking trying to, like, step on somebody's it doesn't head. Ma- it doesn't matter how t- many times you tell them, take it slow, people. Yes. But you, I start ingraining that in them the moment we meet. Yeah. Like, control of pace, control of attitude. I talk to them about heart rate zones. I talk to them about psychology of uh, dumps or ebbs and flows of their adrenaline and how they need to learn to control these things. And that, that's true warrior shit. Yeah. Not just bashing somebody's head in. It's like everything before and everything after. And so it's, it's building this. It's giving the, the possibility of you getting an experience that took me 15 years to, yeah. to figure out condensing all that condensing down. that to the two three days that i get you and most people come back again i think we're at like 30 percent return customer rate for our first year in business which is fucking wild yeah, it's uh i think uh, you provide an experience obviously you're providing material and learning of course yes and i've seen that i've seen the methodology the technique the, the tactics uh the basics of combatives that you're showing them uh, you're pointing out holes that people have in their combative spaces. Like I've seen some people that are amazing uh, grapplers that yeah. show up to your classes, but they can't punch for shit. Right. And you expose them that to that. Yeah. Like, Or people that might be athletic and they can punch and kick and do all these things, but their gun handling skills are bullshit. Yeah. Um, People showing up and are afraid, or people that are like, I don't, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I see some of the videos and I see, oh, that, these guys are fucking at going at it. Yeah, you know. Um, what do you tell to those people that look at look at the violence, uh, control violence? Because it's completely controlled it violence. Is. It, it's a. Uh, uh, but what do you tell the other people that see some of this and say that's that's beyond me? So what's funny is I have a formula for that where it's almost like I don't, I don't say much to them. But if I had to say something you, to them, you, right, uh, it's you have to know, like you said, what you can do and what you're capable of. And what better way than with people that care about you, that want to see you succeed, but you have to come in here and you have to sweat a little, bleed a little maybe, right, yeah. and diminish the what you think you're good at and really see what you're good at. I'm yeah. like, what's fun about the program is, and it, it happens every time, you'll have somebody who has zero, nothing experience. They yeah. know how to shoot a gun. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, we can work with this. They do just as well as somebody who has more experience because the tools change everything. Yeah. Right? You can't go a certain direction because that's where the muzzle line is. You can't go this way because you'll land on top of a blade. So it limits you and they're more of an open book. They're willing to try and experiment and their creativity from lack of training, right, almost takes them into this better place. It's exciting to see. Yeah. For me, seeing some of these people figuring shit out. Yes. That's the big difference right there is what I want and allow is that freedom of expression. I don't let you do weird shit like backflips and like, you know what I mean? Like throw a spear (laughs) across the room. But but I'm okay with you doing something different. Somebody passing a handgun behind their back to the other hand. I have a video coming out. To to keep away from somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I have a video coming out where the dude has to clear a malfunction, takes the magazine out, 
and he can't he's being grabbed from behind so he can't get the gun because the dude's holding his hands so he pushes his hands down lifts his legs up and he reloads by his butthole imagine that right he reloads by his butthole like legs like imagine you're like bending over completely and reloading behind your butt cheeks That's freedom of expression. You, it's okay to go there. Is it ideal? Who fucking knows? I think, I think that's uh, that's the art in martial arts. Yes, there needs to be art. I th- that's the art. Yes, part of it. yeah, and I enjoy that. I learn from people when they do creative things like that. I'm like, well, that's possible. Will it be possible for a dude with a giant belly? Probably, Probably not. not. But right. But, but he is exp- in that moment. He's getting the experience, a controlled experience that he might for his files. So yeah. that fight is solely for him. Right. The results of every single fight are purposeful and they're all positive because the way I designed the drills, there's no good guy and there's no bad guy. You're both you're playing both roles simultaneously. Yeah. And this is what's, again, unique to Rogue Methods that I don't see anywhere else. And I've done a lot of programs with other people to see. And what I wanted to do when I launched Rogue Methods was I didn't want it to be a competitor. I wanted it to be its own fucking thing so that I'm adding value to the community, not trying to fucking fight somebody for business. I was like, that's a stupid model. Why do that? Why not create something that's its own thing? has its own purpose, its own goals, and then people can just come to it or not, right? Like, I don't force anybody to do it. You're all welcome. Uh, but it's different, and it's yeah. the free play. It's the highlight of accomplishments via weird shit. Yeah, like, I, we get weird. Yeah, I mean, for <laughs> me, I think some of the most rewarding stuff for me uh, seeing that class was uh, when students had to go, you know, basically you would set them up and they would have to figure things out Yeah, with the basis of what they experienced in mm-hmm. the training for those two days. Right. And mind you, if you want to simulate a real environment or a real fight, these people are already tired, mm-hmm. they're taxed, yeah. you know, their 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 body chemistry is all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh man, I'm witnessing people, you know, um, crack off a few shots in an impossible situation, yep. you know, and seeing that real life. And that's and then you go into that, well, you know, that might happen in real life. And then you, you can go into a bunch of and videos of actually it. people yes. actually doing this type of yeah. stuff out there. Um, what would you tell somebody that would see some of your videos and that said, well, I'm a, I'm a teacher, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere in an old town. I'm never going to face any of this shit. Why, why would I have to train with you to shoot somebody in the face in a grappling situation? I'll just... I'll just stand back and shoot them from afar, you know, <laughs> or I'll call the cops. Like, what's what's your selfish to somebody that says that you that this is too extreme or this is something that's it's not for them, you know? Uh, a lot of it's just encouraging and, and inviting them, right? Like, look, I get that you have those scenarios played out already. Yeah, I was like, but what is your option for this now? Yeah. Right. And if they can answer me and they're then they tell me, well, you know, I'm going to use this elbow to make space and I'm going to do this kick and I'm going to do all this stuff. Then it's like, okay, at least maybe you thought about it. But for the most part, they don't have an answer. Yeah. So I'm like, so now that they're pondering it, right. I'm like, you don't have to find the answer in your mind when you can figure it out with us. Yeah. And at least you'll know. Yeah. You'll know if this is some shit you want to avoid, because here's what happens. Most people, when they do this shit, they're like, that was fucking gnarly. I hope I never have to do this for real. And I'm like, duh. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
But here's the cool shit. Now you have a file for this. So if you're ever in this situation, it's not new. Yeah. It might be new in the sense of the real violence, right? If you haven't experienced violence, that's a whole nother fucking animal. But at least the mechanical shit, the physical shit, you figured out a little bit. Now, all of the training, and this is what I, I don't think people get this <laughs> about my videos that I post because they're very high paced, fast. Everybody's fucking rolling yeah, around yeah, gravel. Yeah, it, it, it seems it seems like just chaos. It's, yes. uh, sometimes it seems like chaos, but yeah. then if you if you if you're there, you realize that there's problem solving going there's on. There's so much. Like when I watch the videos of the fights, I'm seeing a hundred different things that I'm like, oh shit, that was awesome. Look, he moved his foot here to do this. Uh, most people are just like, they're judging it and like, this is what I would do, right? Yeah, like, I would have done this. Uh, and I invite them. So in the comment sections of my stuff, show uh, somebody's like, oh, that shit wouldn't work. They should be doing this. I'll say one of two things. Hey, man, show up and let's see if that'll happen for real in, in your situation. Or I look forward to seeing you and your videos on how to do it right. Yeah. That's how I leave people. Yeah, show, right? show me, don't tell show me. Show me, exactly. Show me the, the, the way that you're talking about. Um, but the, the <laughs> look, the, the purpose of the class is one, not to get your shit taken, how to protect it if it is taken, how to get it back if it's fucking in somebody else's hands. Yeah. And those are the goals that we're trying to do. And they all come from just your hands, then maybe a grappling match, then a tools involved. Like there's layers to this fucking thing. And that's what people don't see in the videos, but I'm, it's on purpose. I do that on purpose. Yeah. What are some of the, what are some of the uh, things that students come to you with uh, after they go through the class? Like, oh, I need to, this has, I need to work on this. I need to figure this out. Like wh what are some of the comments? So I've been keeping a log, okay. believe it or not, of the stuff that pops up afterwards. So the majority of what I've been tracking is how much people enjoy grappling and they end up joining a gym or a local boxing club or some sort of fitness center, right? So basically they, they realize that physicality is yes, probably some part and they that's need the to build one. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so not only am I generating business for other people yeah. by inspiring these people to go work out, go train at a local gym, right? Like I have actual numbers of people that have joined gyms. So now through what we're doing, right? It, it, it's and again, it's the bring people up. So now that gym is doing better in the area that I went to because five dudes from my class just joined their gym. And like also these those people, little things. And also these people are bettering their lives. But being physically active that's the important part. Yeah, yeah, the individual is actually gaining something for themselves uh, and they're pushing themselves now into new shit. Right from the law enforcement side, I get this one a lot. Why the fuck didn't we learn this before? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't yeah. know. There's a reason why guys leave to do teaching, and that's why there's a lot of good instructors out there. Um, they leave because they saw something wrong somewhere and they want to help fix it. Yeah. Right? Or, or they didn't get what they, or they would didn't get want. what they know. They, yeah. They didn't get what they would want to know. And then they had to fucking learn like you did. Yeah. Fucking go out there and get your. Yeah. And dude, shit I say it almost everywhere I go, but I, one of my biggest fears in life is to not pass on the shit that helped me fix myself emotionally, mentally, physically, and survive some fucking bullshit in the world. And so if I can share that shit, that's like a highlight for me. Yeah. Like that's my true, per like internal purpose, right? Business, I have a different purpose. Family, I have a different purpose. But the, the point of teaching is to like dump this shit on other people so that they have something to work with. Um, and then the, the last one is I tried this in this class because I wanted to do something that I thought and it didn't work. Yeah. I was okay. like, yeah, because yeah. what you were trying was very rule regimented. Yeah. Fights don't happen the way we think they do. Yeah. Yes, you can only do certain things with your limbs, but people can get creative. Yeah. And then everything changes every layer you take away. So from standing to kneeling to kneeling to laying down, that's a whole different fight. Those are three different fight realms. 
So that's why we play with a standing fight. We play with a kneeling fight. We play with a grounded fight. So they get an experience of fighting from standing to kneeling to being on the ground to back to standing. Yeah. All without having to be slammed into the ground and crushed. Right, <laughs> so you don't have to you don't have to get crushed to know what it feels like to get crushed. Yeah, um, but you're gonna experience it in layers, yeah. and that's why I think people have such a fun time because it isn't like you get there and then you you do what the fight videos show. Yeah, so <laughs> so no, what what are the prerequisites to come to one of these? Clubs? Zero. So I don't have to be a, a, a pro pro belt in jujitsu. Fuck no. Do, do I have to be in law enforcement? No. Do I um, have to have some sort of combatives background? <laughs> no. Um, can I show up without any fucking notion or clue about specifically what's going on and I just then can figure things out there? Yes. Yes to the point where, look, uh, you, you have to have some sort of understanding of firearms because yeah. it is firearms-centric. Basic, 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 right? fi- basic firearms, yeah, basic firearms. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and if all you and, know is that the, the point where the rounds come out go the other way, yeah. I'm okay with that. I could work with that because you'll know not to point it at yourself. Yeah. Though what's beautiful in yeah. these fights, there's times where you point the gun at yourself to point it back at them, and that's okay. Yeah. No, no, but no. But the internet's fl- like, you're, oh, you're my God, flag- you're, you're flagging <laughs> yourself. Well, that's what happens yeah. when you're actually rolling yeah. for life and death somewhere. Yeah. You're going to flag yourself. And one of the recent videos, there's a, a girl with a red sweater, and she's holding the gun, and then she moves her face over the muzzle and comes out on the other side, yeah. right? She, she comes over, and you can see it where she muzzles her face with the other person's gun. The only thing is, is I don't think she could see that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, and so from the it, outside looking in, everybody's like, dude, she, she muzzled. Just, I was like, I bet you she didn't she, notice. She didn't notice that. And then they're like, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. I was like, people are too conditioned now to think they can solve a problem watching a video. So what we offer is the actual problem solving hands fucking on. Yeah. And we do it in a setting where it's individual growth, but it's team-based fucking training, man. You have to take care of each other. I push it from day one. If anybody's too asshole-ish, we either pull them or we have a conversation. Usually once we have a conversation, they get back to normal and everything's fucking cool, right? Because I can't help you get better at stuff and break you at the same time. Yeah. So there's that's not my intent in any of this. The, you know, people, a, a, a lot of the people that I saw in your class come, came in with their own holsters, you know? Yes. Oh, obviously, everybody's coming with their own equipment. Their own gear holster. to test it. A lot of that shit got tossed away. <laughs> we're not gonna, yeah. you know, we're not gonna bow f- bad mouth holsters and shit no. like that. But uh, configurations, like st- gear wise, and things like of that nature, like what have you seen work for people? Like what, 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 what setups do you see work for people that are in the, and kind of coming through the, some of the training with you? So, I mean, for law enforcement, there's always they carry level twos, which it's just like a little clip in, right? But if you're a cop man and you're going hands on, get the one with the hood. So you have three layers of retention, the shroud, right? Um, You want all of that. So then you don't have to worry about putting your hands on the thing. You can worry about the fucking dude. Yeah. Um, That's my suggestion for law enforcement. And that's what I carried. I was like, it needs to be a level three. So I don't have to And it's something that you've reproven over and over again through control training. All control training. Even in real life. Even bad dudes are like, it was hard as fuck. I couldn't get that gun. I was like, okay, that that's a one for the holster. Now, for uh, somebody that's a civilian for civilian concealed. side, yeah. Look, appendix is just easier to control. It's in front of you. Your elbows can protect it. Your hands can protect it. It's just infinitely better than it being behind you or somewhere. So, for else. people that don't know what appendix is, so in the front, right in, the, in the belly side, in the front near the belly button. Kydex, kydex is better. Look, leather is good too. 
leather is good, but it's not good for reholstering or holstering in general, okay. right? So because it uh, because it smashes it, itself it, it down. Smashes but it look, down. if you're a smart motherfucker and you know that it smashes down, well, then just take the whole holster off, put the gun in the holster, and then put it back on. Yeah. This is why I don't do nevers and always. Yeah. Like that's not the world that I live in because that's not the world, and I don't think it's it's not that black and white. There's a lot of gray. Metal clips versus rubber belt loops or attachment. So attach rubber belt loops points. do snap off. Rubber belt loops are failure. failure for the they fail, but they're not terrible. Okay. Right? Clips are good, too. I know that the discrete carry concepts guys make a really Number great one. fucking clip, man. Yeah. I've ripped, like, through leather belts mm-hmm. trying to break those off. They do bend and warp, but it's a mm-hmm. spring, right? It's going to load. It's going to load awkwardly and open. Um, they hold the best, I think, the metal clips, and then they're damaging. Yeah. So because of some of the styles of fighting that we do, I use the holster to grind into your fucking hands to break your knuckles off the gun. And if you're, if you're wearing all soft stuff, you can't use it to your benefit, right? So that's why I don't like the soft loops because I actually use the holster to fight your fucking hands. Yeah. Um, and so the metal clips in that front position, belly button area, appendix area, uh, easier to defend, easier to grab, easier to keep away than having something isolated on one side of the body. Yeah. Now, something really cool that I picked up from uh, one of the, the FMA world is they carry a tool on each side. Yeah. So whichever side is compromised, they have something on the other side, which okay. I thought that was cool. Yeah. So that's kind of how I carry my personal carry. I, I carry appendix and a blade, but they're both accessible from both sides. An in I, case. An, an, an knife and a gun, which just leads me to my next thing. Like, if, what are you gonna? What do you? What do you recommend people carry with their gun? Obviously, uh, you know, spare magazine. But what else? What else do I carry with my gun? You know, I've, I've seen you integrate tools that are yeah. that, you know, people are like, hey, I didn't. They come in with their gun holster. They don't come with a tourniquet. Right. Right. Or, you know. Yeah. So we, we do integrate tourniquet work in medical because I think it's important. You better patch yourself up if you do get fucking hurt. Right. Or, yeah. or patch somebody else up. But for gear, your, your protective measure gear, a fixed blade is super important because you don't have to flick it open and do all this shit. Even the wave feature, I think it's good, but it's not in-fighting it's, good. It's it's a, in my personal experience, and I know the man that right. invented it, you mm-hmm. know, the uh, uh, very good man, uh, Ernest Emerson. Yeah. Uh, it's not 100%. Correct. Right. Um, and what I, the last thing you want is for it to half open and crush your fucking fingers yeah. in that blade. And so that's why I don't like the the those for that. Yeah. Right. I do like the straight fixed blades. Right. Double sided if that's what you're into or just just know how to use it. Right. Um, And get a little bit of training in. But that blade protects the gun or the gun protects the blade, which allows both of both of them. I'm not a big fan of using both simultaneously. (laughs) Um, I don't know that I'll ever be that ninja, but I like using one and the other like the, the, the black dude. You remember that guy? He shot the ceiling at the range and then he stabbed the target. Yeah. yeah. That guy, I don't know. He would do like stab and shoot at the same time. Yeah. No. Uh, I don't even know. That's not even make him famous, though. That's a good. That's a good way to shoot yourself in the hand, probably. <laughs> yeah, because you're reaching out and trying to shoot. You're yeah. trying to stab with one hand, then you're trying to that's, shoot with the all, other. That's like, all. That's that's risky. That's, yeah. Um, but I do believe that one helps protect the other, and people should carry both. Minimal stuff. It doesn't have yeah. to be a fucking samurai sword, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, when you you know somebody starts off in this, uh, they want a base. You know, they come to one of your classes. I think I think your class is pretty good litmus test for people's overall. You know, yeah. Like, Ah, huh, this. What would you recommend to somebody that wants to start building themselves up as a, you know, not not necessarily as a warrior. We're not going to talk about any of this. Somebody wants to become capable. Yeah. Somebody that wants to be uh, an asset to their family if something happens. Uh, somebody that wants to be capable of fighting. 
yeah. defending themselves? Like, what do you recommend? How, where do they start? So if they have no baseline, and the easiest thing you can do, and this is like completely off topic, be barefoot more okay. so that your feet are strong. You need your fucking feet to fight. Okay. I think we, people are like, well, we need to, you know, have upper body strength and, you know, punching power. I was like, man, you need fucking feet. You need to a get base. You, you need somewhere. a base. You need a base. <laughs> you do. Your base needs to be sound. So even the shoes I have now, yeah. the shoes I live in, they're all flat. Uh, flat shoes designed to mimic being barefoot and just protect the bottoms of your feet. That will give your ankles the strength that they need. I mean, where do you have the biggest tendon on the body? Your fucking Achilles, man. Yeah. Like, that's important. It's a very important so your, your legs are your driving power for fighting. Like, you need them. So if you're going to do anything with us, I recommend sled pushes, uh, walking backwards, uh, lunges. Build your freaking legs. That'll build a warrior. Everybody that I've seen successful in the classes has a strong lower body. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, that, that's huge for us. So what I would recommend, build your fucking feet, right? Build your legs. A little bit of cardio goes a long way just in general. In general, I think cardio is, I mean, it's hard. It's, hurts it's yeah. difficult sure. uh we're getting older some of us are getting older you know <laughs> but yeah cardio uh you know um i see a lot of people trying to go places where they want to learn everything you know yeah uh, i think one of my biggest pet peeves is um any program that will show you everything right. you know i like you said you went to boxers to teach you how to strike short yeah. range you went to grappling specific people to show you some of that um what about, what about a combative space? Like, what, what do you recommend people train in? So if, if you're a parent, the best advice I can give you is put your kids in wrestling. It'll okay. build a human unlike any other. Like the, the discipline, the strength, the commitment. Like, if you can start as a parent, like, if you can mold a child, that's what you want to do. Rough and tumble. Put them in fucking wrestling, right? Um, if you're already a grown-up, Look, uh, jujitsu is good because it gives you the exposure and the pressure of another human being trying to fucking choke you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that, that, so jujitsu is always going to be good. Uh, Striking is a hard one for grownups. We're getting punched in the face depending on your work, right? Yeah. It's difficult. Uh, even just brain getting tossed around is hard for some people. Yeah. Most people don't hydrate enough to take a punch to the head, right? So people that take better shots are usually better hydrated. Like, because the brain's filled with water and your body does better with water in it. So one is hydration, obviously. But look, uh, wrestling and jujitsu are big ones because of the exchange of energy with a human. And though it is a, a choreographed play, it is sporadic. You don't know what the other guy wants to do, but you can feel what he's trying to do. Yeah, it teaches you to be reactive. It yeah. teaches you how to be a bit more intuitive with motion. Yeah. yeah, and you can, I mean, if you don't have a gym to go to, you can play with your kids, you can play with your wife. Like, let them do weird shit, and then you move them around and just playfully get things going. Um, those would be good starting foundations uh, for understanding your body. Yeah. I think a lot of what's missing in people is people body awareness. Yeah, people don't know their body. They're not aware of what their yeah. body could do, their limits, their, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, one sense. of our very first drills, I'm not even going to tell you guys what it is, but you know what it was like, that, that contact drill we did yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. That right there sets the tone because yeah. there's – a good majority of people that come into the classes have never done something like that. Yeah. So the you, first time you, that you, happens you, to them, you, you can tell they're worried about their space. They're worried about their base. They're yep. like, "Holy shit! I'm, I, what, what am I doing right yeah. now?" You like, know, there's a moment. This thing that I'm about to do, I didn't even conceptualize until this very moment. I'm like, "Wow, well, welcome, man!" Yeah. You know, and there's it's a, a huge smile on my face, and everybody's cheering them on. Yeah. And it's things that are missing. People yeah. fucking cheering you on. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, we want to talk about minorities <laughs> in this world. Uh, one of the biggest minorities on the planet is people that will show up to a class like that. Yep. People that are actually having the balls and the courage to basically step forward yes, and say, yes, I'm going to fucking train to be able to, to be capable, basically. Yeah, you and know? that's why that's why I think it's so cool that we sell out a lot. Like most, of, I think all of our stuff for this year is sold out already, and we're starting into next year. But I tell the people in the classes, I'm like, hey, you guys that are here today, it's a unique personality trait. Not yeah. everybody shows up. No. I get a shit ton of emails asking me questions, and I can hear the nervousness via the text. Of course. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and then the people that show up are like, fuck, man, it like <laughs> took a lot. I finally hit, you know, register, and here I am. And then they leave, and they're like, fuck, yeah. Um, again, it's people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. But when they come and they get and they realize they're they're capable of it and the programming is incredibly simplistic, right? It's not easy, but it's simple because again, formulas for teaching, adults don't have a lot of time, they're short they have short attention spans, right? Yeah. And so I teach in these little models, these like 15-minute blocks, and if we can move on, we move on. If not, I rephrase and re-educate and we stay there just a little bit longer and then we move on. Yeah. But we haven't had to move on and leave people behind. Yeah. Right. So that's just a testament to the programming. Not not to me because I use models and I don't like to take full credit. I use a lot of we's and us like teams. Um, but the modeling has been that every time something doesn't stick, I find a way to make it better for the next one. And so that's what I think people with no experience show up and they're like, fuck, I can do this. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, you just took that gun away from that dude. And he's experienced Yeah. because you've at least followed one of the t- three principles. Yeah. So the... That that's an interesting thing, like the the realization that some of them get mm-hmm. this is feasible. This isn't John Wick shit. Yeah. This is not a choreo. This is not choreographed. This is not uh, let me let me do what I need to do. This is people keeping each other honest. Yeah, in a, in a in a controlled space, and there's some chaos in there. <laughs> but it is it is it is it is an amazing thing seeing people come out of it. Um, Finding your, find, finding uh, finding some of these people coming back with experiences. Mm-hmm. I have, that, have you have have you had that experience? Yeah, and they so what they communicate and it's cool. I had recently. I've had two or three, and I mean I've had plenty, but two or three that stood out. Yeah, and it's what I was after. I was like, fuck! Finally, I'm hearing what oh, yeah. I want to hear. Uh, as far as what you're supposed to be seeing on your end, right? Yeah, like I know what I want for you but you have to experience it. Otherwise it doesn't happen. Right. So one of the ladies was like the, she came back the second time for the, for the program. And she's like, now I could see the fight from another angle. Okay. So I knew what I was doing and now I could pay attention to what they were doing where the first iteration, she could only manage herself and it was reactive and reactive and reactive versus responding. Right. So a reaction is something emotional and erratic, a response is coordinated and trained, right? And so now she's thinking in the response theory. So now she can be like, okay, she's moving her hand back. I need to follow her hand. So she would follow the hand and not lose the gun. So like now she's starting to see things a little bit better. And she's like, I bet the next time I come, I'll be able to see it from the outside and then I can manage everything. So the fact that one first go around allowed her to figure out how it was for her to experience it for herself. The second go around, she's experiencing it through somebody else 
right? And still gaining all the information. And she's like, I was able to slow it down and I can feel and see. And I actually knew what was happening in the drill. Most people after the drill, they're like, I don't even know what happened. And I'm like, well, good thing I have video so you can see. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, they're like, oh, shit, I did that. I was like, yeah, crazy, huh? Like, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's, it's a thing. It, for, for me, it's like seeing some of the students that showed up uh, to your class. A lot of them were shooters. Yeah. Uh, some of them were shooters, but their experience in shooting was related to a square linear range. Yeah. Static all, paper targets. And all of a sudden you introduce them to this, you know, the, the fourth dimension. Or whatever <laughs> the fuck. It's like mind expi- expanding to them when they start figuring out that... Uh, they can pass the gun from yeah. one hand to the other, and there's going to be a <laughs> range violation right. screamed out somewhere. Um, the, the 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 getting people out of that weird bubble that some people kind of live in, as far as I mean, it's training, it's yeah. valuable, but uh, putting them into a situation where that uh, the dimensions change. Yeah, that's pretty. That was that's that's that was a pretty powerful powerful experience to kind of witness for myself. It's liberating, right? Even on our end to be to give people that freedom to do that shit. Because if we impose limitations, and this is what happens with the flat range stuff, you impose all these rules, right? And I get it; it's for safety, whatever. Uh, but now people, not that they're going to act that way, but that they're going to be like, "Wait, what was that thing I was supposed to do?" Instead of like free play the shit, free flow, allow yeah. it to happen, and then yeah. solve the problem as you're going. Yeah. Uh, a lot of big things in it for me in these drills is I have goals for people. Right. I have goals set in my mind for each partner pair as they're going through their iteration. So as they're fighting, I'm like, okay, I want him to try to do this, but I'm not saying it because if I tell them that now I kind of like put a task on them. Yeah. Right. And then they're going to try to do it and then they're going to fail and then they're going to feel like they failed. Yeah. So I don't tell anybody this. That's a great. In my mind, I'm like, okay, I know this is what he's going to try to do. This is the goal. This is what I want from him. And people execute that like, yeah, it's not like I'm a magician, but I can figure people out doing this long enough. You point the way, but you don't tell them what they're going to find. Yeah. And that way there's no losing. Like, this is the big thing with a lot of this stuff. People watch these and they're like, oh, that guy lost or that guy did this and he should have taken that. I was like, how do you know who the good guy is in this situation? Yeah. How do you know who was trying to not fire the gun? Or you don't even know if this drill calls for unloading the gun, right? So now I have all these drills and one of them is this. You're fighting with somebody and the goal is to see who can unload the gun first. So you and I have a gun between us. Go, we grab it. One of us has to unload it. The drill doesn't end until the gun is fully unloaded, right? Now you're watching the scramble and people doing weird shit. And they're like, what are they doing? Why aren't they trying to shoot each other? And it's like, well, because you don't know what the fuck we're doing. You're judging it from the outside looking in. But I have all these little tasks in these drills, like that hand swapping drill, a new drill that I kind of put together because of that hand swapping the gun is we'll put the head on the chest and the partner's moving and you have to move the partner, but the partner's trying to grab the gun and you have to swap it every time you feel the gun is in danger. So now they're getting random reps of gun swapping hand to hand. And every time you think there's an opportunity to put it into your firing hand and break a shot, go. And so now we're playing not only with the freestyling shit, right, that we've allowed them to experiment with. So now we're taking the experimental shit and making it a drill. So now we're even furthering down the possibilities. So it's exciting, man. It's one of the most exciting projects I've ever worked on. Where do you, you know, um, you know, you... What, what specific courses do you offer to the public? So we have our core class right now, because I'm on the road doing this one, is the close contact gunfighter. Yeah. You're, 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 you're fucking on the road constantly. <laughs> it's like you're, on, you're always on. You're basically, we're, this is us. Just, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. We're probably on a flight somewhere crossing yeah. flight patterns. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
And that's my focus. My general focus is that because, again, I, I truly believe that everybody should be capable of these skills and everybody can be. Yeah. And that's the exciting part. It's like, I believe in you, motherfuckers. You can do it. Just show up. I promise. Yeah. Right? Like, I promise people that. And then uh, I have a strong team right now of two dudes, Dylan Vensky and Hunter Constantine. These two dudes are my firearms guys. They're world-class shooters. They're competitive grandmasters. They understand shooting at the highest levels, right? And combatives, or the combative side of shooting, it's just shooting fast at the best opportune time. Yeah. So why not take the dudes who are the best shooters and then add combative elements to it, right? So I have these two guys, and they're heading the program for me as far as pistol goes, so all firearm-specific training and then all carbine-style training. Those two guys are kind of managing that for me while I run around doing this. Uh, Dan the Hitman Murray, he's an ex-UFC guy, ex-Bellator fighter. He helps me with combatives, uh, and there's some other people that we're prospecting and trying to develop as well. Look, I, when, when I went from every element of work, I always wanted a team, yeah. right? I didn't want, like, my team. I wanted a team. Yeah. And this is, I'll call my team and I'll call the guys and I'll be like, hey, what do you think of this decision? It's completely up to me, right? Like the responsibility is going to fall on me, whether it fails or it does well, but I include them in it. I want them to know that they're a part of what I'm doing and we're doing it together. And so having those guys has really helped at least keep the momentum of shooting because we want people to be able to shoot well, both of the guns that they carry, all of the stuff that they have, but the fighting aspect is what more people are going to be seeing of me. And then... I talked to the guys about this. It's a model that I have. I do combatives and the guys do firearms on the same location. So now we have the 14 max in my class. I cap all my classes at 14. 14 going on here, 14 going on here. And we interchange and we have lunch together. And we're always like, it's a giant group of people. And it just generates that like, oh shit, look what they're doing. Oh shit, look what they're doing. And now we're fucking intermingling. Dude, it's just like, it's it's an event. Like people love this shit. And I love the people that come to it. And it does build this really cool sense of, of community. Yeah, it's an awesome, it's an awesome community. I I think I've been witnessing it as it kind of grows and... You know, some of the people that go into, I mean, I, I got uh, advice on uh, physical rehab uh, mm. to with some of the students at one of your classes, <laughs> uh, advice on holsters uh, by somebody else there. Uh, Dude, everything. There's there's an exchange, and I do this as well. I, I tell people, like, exchange business cards, create a network of people. We've had everything from lawyers to copyright attorneys to business management to guys who build infrastructures, engineers, and everybody's exchanging information. And now you have a bunch of people that can do all the things you can't do, Yeah. right? It's like the collection of information yeah. to build this program. Now you have a collection of people that are capable in realms that you just can't because you're, you're bandwidth, right? Uh, that's that true sense of fucking community, man. I think that's that's what's important. And it's not cliche and it's not just some shit we talk about. Like, dude, fuck, I, I came into San Diego yesterday, had dinner with one of the guys, said what's up to his family. Like, to be invited to somebody's home means a lot. Yeah. Like, right? And so, and then I get to have breakfast with you, maybe lunch. And it's one of those things where a true community will have time for each other in that way. And I hear stories of people connecting. Yeah. after classes like hey yeah. we went out and we practiced some of this shit or hey the new guy that i that lives at exactly one mile away from me that i met in your class that i would have never have met 
we're now best friends and we go shooting all the, the time. The, the minorities start recognizing yes. each other, right? Yeah. Dude, and, and what's the best thing, and I think why it's so inviting and welcoming, there's no seafood, there's no top of the food chain, there's no bow to me yeah. bullshit, right? We're all fucking equal. I'll get in there and I'll lose with you sometimes and I'll win sometimes. And it doesn't matter because we're in this shit together, yeah. right? If it's a true team, there's no winners or losers, just motherfuckers building, right? And that's why I get in there and I fight with the guys, which is, again, I made fun of this a long time ago where I kept hearing the terms demo everything, demo everything. And I was like, hey, guys, that's obvious. You have to demo things. But if you have to tell people that you're the guy that demos things, then now you're just highlighting something you should be doing anyway. It's redundant. Yeah. So just teach people and do the shit, and you don't have to talk about it. But it goes back to show me, not, not, not uh, fucking tell me. Yeah, show me, don't tell me. Yeah. Um, the... I mean, that's a great program. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. I'm Thanks, like, man. We're collaborating uh, on yeah. something at the end of the year um, as well. The, we got that one yeah. at the end of the year in Escondido. And then uh, I talked to the team that you have, right? Yeah. And we have another one in Dallas Yep. mid-next year. And then we have something to be determined with you guys in February. So, yeah. and, and, and for people, like when we talk about doing a class together, Basically, people are invited to an open conversation between two people mm -hmm. that have different experiences that came up with some pretty similar solutions to some of them. Yeah. And uh, I'll go into like some videos and talking about how some of these things happen and uh, go hands on with some of the aspects of blade work. We're going to do a, we're going to have a, <laughs> we're going to actually have a pig yep. for, for, for the class we're doing at the end of the year, uh, the end of the year. So people can experience flesh. Yes. Uh, which is it flesh is a teacher. It, it shows mm -hmm. you some things. I, I mean, we're not going to we're not going to do any anything uh, stupid with it. It's a, right. There's a there's a reverence and there's a very specific use that we use that for and to give people an experience of what that is. Yeah. Um, but uh, the you know, again, the minority that is discovering each other out there, that weird-ass community that uh, is kind of interconnecting between both of our, you know, audiences and uh, people kind of showing up, basically. Uh, yeah. that, that's, that's been very, um, you know, there's a lot of negative shit, ha shit happening in the world, but uh, it's, one of the, it's one of the good uh, positive things that I found out, that there's a lot of people like us that are willing to kind of step up and do some of this type of stuff. And to become self-sufficient in that way, you know. And I think you have you're very good at kind of pulling that some of that shit out of people. I try, man, because I believe in them, and like, fuck, I believe in myself. Because here's another thing that I think a lot of guys miss out on because they don't know how to do it in a in a genuine way. Like, if you don't like yourself, people aren't gonna like you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I get it. Yeah, um, but then it looks like showboaty. And I picked it up from a friend who's not on Instagram anymore, um, but he made a post and he's like. He's the first one to like his own shit when he posts it. And I do the same shit. Okay. As soon as I post it, I fucking like my own shit. If I don't like it, why should you like it? You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? I get it. It's, I get not, it. it's not any more than I put the shit up. I thought it was fucking cool. I'm letting you know it's cool. Carry on. Right? Um, but then that feeds into real life. If I don't take care of myself, respect myself, how are kids going to respect me growing up in the household? Right? If I don't clean up my shit, how, come I'm gonna, how do I expect them to clean up after themselves? If I'm not in shape, how do I expect people to be in shape when I'm yelling at them to be in shape for this fight? Right? So I, I share all that stuff genuinely, my eating, my working out, all the shit I share with people so that they, not that I'm like, hey, emulate me, but it's like, if I can do it, you can do it. I'm just a fucking kid with a GED who understood how to make a business happen from other business dealings, yeah. right? And, and shit can work as long as you fucking try. 
but if you don't like yourself, man, people aren't going to like you. And this is where I think people have a hard time in this industry. Yeah. I mean, ego's a bitch. <laughs> uh, ego death is also hard to find. You and get that shit from psychedelics, but guys are scared of shit like that because they're scared of facing themselves. Well, again, ego death. Yeah. People don't want people want to live forever. <laughs> I think that's what most people struggle with. Man, the biggest lesson I learned as a leader, and I live it to this fucking day, is if I'm going to teach people something, I want to teach them to the point where they don't fucking need me. Then I did my job. Yeah. But if you need me for solutions, I fucking failed you. Yeah. Right? Like, I want you to be as good as me or better and then not need me anymore because you've excelled. Yeah. And if you're not motivating people to be better than you, you're really just holding them as little patsies. Yeah. And I don't want that shit. I want people to excel beyond whatever I did. If, if, I can, if I can give anybody anything after a class, is their ability to be more of a, a more critical thinker of yes. what they see and to judge things through their own experience yeah. and to start building that up. Um, where can people find out more about you? Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, my page uh, on, on Instagram is uh, Raul.Martinez.Junior, and it's mostly like funny shit and memes. I follow you. <laughs> yeah. I follow you. And uh, just random stuff and some motivational stuff here and there and family stuff. Um, it's just me. It's like it's easy to be me on Instagram. That's what I get from people. They're like, man, you're just like you are on Instagram. I was like, well, I don't, how do you want me to be? <laughs> you know, they're like, well, we've met a lot of people from Instagram. They're fucking assholes in real life. I'm like, sorry for you, man. Um, the company page is rogue.methods on Instagram. And that's where we post more class photos, training drills, people fighting, people doing cool shit and showing you what, what, what our programs are all about. And then uh, the website is rogue-methods. So if anybody wants to see our training schedule, they can go on there. Um, awesome. And you can find my team as well on the Rogue Methods page. So if you awesome. guys want to follow the guys. Uh, one of the most uh, exciting classes I've been to this year was oh, yours. Yeah. So uh, thank Sweet. you for that. Um, I think uh, definitely you're somebody that I'm keeping an eye on. And I think a lot of people should keep an eye on your work. Uh, valuable work. I learned a lot from going to that class. And I'm learn a lot just watching your videos online man so uh oh yeah thank you for making the trek down fuck yeah dude as uh, soon as that offer came <laughs> i was like let's do it uh let's have another fucking conversation but this Hell time yeah. probably next to a bunch of dudes with guns and a pig hanging somewhere i'm about it the people are already, that class is sold out we're ready to rock that one um Raul, uh thank you for coming down uh thank you for your friendship fuck and uh Definitely check uh, Rogue Methods out. Um, thank you. <laughs>